Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Away In Show. I am your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week we're going over UFC Vegas 30, headlined by a pivotal heavyweight scrap between uh, Cyril Gunn and Alexander Volkov. Really excited to see how this fight plays out, and we really get to find out how true and how skillful Cyril Gunn truly is, because this is definitely his stiffest test to date, so I really can't wait for this one to go down. Uh, I, as always, I do have some friends that I've brought along with me to break these fights down and I'll introduce them to you guys very shortly. Uh, obviously we do have PFL and Bellator going on in the background. Some of us got some degenerate plays that we're trying to sweat out over here. So we're all going to sweat it out together. And I'm sure some of you guys in the chat are going to be watching as well. So, uh, the main focus though, we'll be watching that in the background, but the main focus is going to be breaking down UFC Vegas 30 one last time for you guys, especially now that the, we have the weigh-ins, uh, that actually occurred this morning. Everybody made weight no big issues so i'm really looking forward to seeing how this one plays out and i can't wait to hear what these guys have to say as well so first and foremost let me bring in my guy jonah Schiffman, probably the one that i'm most familiar with throughout uh, out of this entire panel but my guy jay Schiff, he knows what the hell he's talking about what's going on my brother what's up Locke? thank you for having me on the show i know we've done uh, some work together before on the youtube streets i was uh, honored to be featured uh, in that big episode you did back in the day where you had all the uh, guest speaker on for each fight i think i did a nathaniel wood fight if i remember correctly hawani yes. came on at the end and uh, you've blown up even more since then so uh i'm happy to be here thank you for having me on man absolutely brother you know your shit so i have to give you a fucking platform and i know i didn't get to you sooner than i did the, the rest of the guys i even got your co-host on before you but i still uh definitely had your name on the list of guys that i want to tackle to especially get on this type of show but yeah i appreciate you carving out time to hop on the 100th episode and obviously this one as well for friday night all right let's bring on next up host of the i believe the ufo podcast john, my man john martian can actually say it himself john what's going on brother What's up, fellas? Yeah, the Martian MMA podcast. That's where you guys hear me from. But I'm interacting with all you guys on Twitter. I know Locke's been grinding, doing six, seven podcasts a week. I struggle to do one podcast a week, so I don't know what this man is made of. But uh, he's been grinding them out. I'm happy to finally be on the show. And uh, we got a decent card tomorrow, so it should be fun discussing it. Absolutely, brother. John, trust me, I've been seeing you around the Twitter streets. I've been seeing your, your podcast and all that type of stuff. So I'm glad that we're finally able to collaborate on something. And I can actually give you a, a legitimate platform to go out there and showcase your skills for the rest of the audience as well. So uh, if you guys don't know, you guys will definitely know these fellas before we uh, wrap this uh, show up. Lastly, somebody that I just recently came across and was very impressed with. We got my guy, Uncle Weezy. Uh, Weezy, what's going on, brother? I'm ready to break down some fights with all you guys tonight, man. UFC 30, we got 13 fights, man. I am kind of new to this game, but I'm old to the stats game. So I've been compiling mixed martial arts statistics for the last year because I was pissed off about how shitty the stats were on DraftKings when I was researching those cards. And it just kind of built into something where I've all of a sudden I've got a ton of stats. I've organized them. I'm ready to go through them with you guys. I watch tape too. I'm not a guy that just looks at the stats and uses just the stats to come to conclusions. So, uh, you know, let's talk some stats. Let's talk some tape. Uh, let's talk some fights, man. I'm ready to go. Hell yeah, hell yeah. You guys can find Uncle Weezy. I believe he's on the, the Early Look podcast with a Brady DFS by the numbers over there on Pub Sports Radio. I definitely have seen Weezy creeping up in the chat and every now and then on my streams and stuff. And then when, once I saw him over there on, on that uh, stream at Pub Sports Radio, I knew I had to give the guy a shot on this show. So hopefully you guys are uh, enthused and, and happy with what he brings to the table in terms of stats. So uh, very good crew of guys that we got here to look at all these fights from different angles. And I'm sure we're going to have some guys butting heads in terms of picks. 
but hopefully we can get some solid takes, solid reads that can end up with some cash in your pockets tomorrow night. And just a reminder, early card tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern start time for the prelims, 4 p.m. Eastern start time for the main card. So don't get caught snoozing because that's usually my nap time as well. So I'm getting my ass up to make sure that I'm watching these fights. All right, let's not waste too much more time. Let's start off at the bottom of the card here. We got a fight that was supposed to happen uh, early last month, I believe. Yancey Medeiros versus Demir Hadzovic. In terms of odds, we're looking at um minus one or is it minus 140 for demir hadzovic plus 120 ish on yancy medeiros not much action on this line this this time that they were actually scheduled the last time they were scheduled i believe it was closer to a pick them and we did have yancy i uh, sorry we had we did have demir actually come in as roughly about a minus 120 favorite on fight day before the fight actually ended up getting canceled now I, i'm having a, a little bit of a tough time reading this fight but i ultimately still come out on the uh demir hadzovic side of things i believe yancy really needs to implement his grappling advantage here in this fight but i don't think that he's going to be able to do it efficiently enough to get demir hadzovic down and you know there are times where hadzovic looks like a fish out of water there's been plenty of fighters that have been very successful in dragging him there hanatoi kano alan patrick are two guys even christos Yagos had a lot of success in terms of just grapple fucking Demir Hadzovic. I just don't think that Yancey will have the same type of success. I think that this will eventually just turn into a striking contest, which I actually give the advantage to Mr. Demir Hadzovic. Better combinations, more power, seems to have a little bit more sauce if you want to call it that on the feet i think that he's definitely going to put it on yancy here i i've seen some people on the violence bet here the under two and a half and i don't hate it because it is at slight plus money but i ultimately do think it's going to be demir hadzovic who gets his hand raised uh knocking out yancy medeiros uh and, and yeah i'm a big yancy fan it, it hurts for me to say that but i don't think that this is a good stylistic matchup especially if he can't get his grappling going here so i'm going hadzovic and hadzovic by second round ko john i'm going to shift it shift it on over to you damn i didn't even try Try to do that. That just happened. I'm going to shift it on over to you. How are you feeling about this matchup between Medeiros and Hadzvich? You're just too slick with those transitions, <laughs> Locke. <laughs> um, basically, I, I think you captured the breakdown pretty well in terms of, you know, I think if it plays out as a striking match for 50 minutes, I do favor Hadzvich. Uh, I, I do think that Yancey has some submission upside here. I actually did make a bet. Uh, I think I have six plays for this weekend. This is my first one. I played the under two and a half at plus 150. Um, Preet, you mentioned in your breakdown how, you know, we saw this line was close to pick him. Then Hadzvich took some money prior to the fight getting canceled a few weeks ago. Uh, I was contemplating playing the under two and a half at around even money last time out. And then this week uh, it was plus 150 earlier in the week. Wow. And, you know, I don't love betting on a violence, uh, a betting violence in a spot where I don't see there's like a clear favorite between Hazovich and Medeiros. But I kind of like the fact that, you know, either one of them can land a finish. You know, we've seen them both knocked out inside the UFC. Yancey has not looked great recently. In fact, that's kind of my one hesitation with the under is like that Venata fight. He just didn't seem yeah. like that same war Yancey we've seen who's really been an under machine uh but in terms of how the matchup plays out in a pick uh, i'd like to pick yancey you know he's faced better competition he's been in there against you know jim miller uh dustin poirier guys like that i'm just not sure what kind of yancey we get come saturday i guess afternoon at this point so uh, i guess if i had to pick a side i'll take the dog money and yancey but really i think the under early in the week at plus 150 was good uh either guy life or knockout kind of defensively irresponsible both ways and i, I think uh, yancey has some sneaky submission upside as well 
Uh, yeah, John. So Yatsmith Jaros, I believe back in 2016, 2017, was on a pretty solid three-fight winning streak. Sean Spencer, Eric Silva, Cowboy Oliveira, and then he runs into Cowboy Cerrone in a main event slot, ends up losing, and that starts a three-fight losing streak. You got to give him a mulligan a little bit for that Gregor Gillespie loss that he took. But here he is against Hazvich trying to not take that fourth straight loss. His job is more than likely on the line here. Do you think he actually pulls off the upset and saves his job, or do you think that Hazvich actually gets him out of there? Yeah, so I'm pretty much agreeing with everything that's being said so far. Uh, I do see the angle on the under, uh, Yancey sub, Demir knockout. Um, and I don't really have like a concrete idea of how the finish is going to happen, but it kind of reminds me of Glenn and Silva last week where it's just two kind of volatile mm -hmm. guys and the finish could easily happen. And I really agree with Locke's breakdown. Uh, I just got to side with the the striking of Hazovic. I think he's got the more consistent boxing. And Medeiros is just kind of noodly on the feet, you know, like he doesn't really know what he's doing at times. I, I wasn't impressed with the Lando fight, as Jonah mentioned. Uh, he just didn't really want to push the action there. He was kind of content to lose a decision. And that just wasn't a good sign. I mean, when was the last time the guy won a fight at lightweight too? Like six or seven years ago. Um, so I, you got to like Gancy Medeiros. He's a cool guy, but it is hard to pick him in this spot. But if he comes in with the right grappling game plan, he hasn't been the guy to do that in the past but you know with the with the tape on Demir struggling off of his back it would be the right game plan to come in here so no bets for me on this one uh, i kind of would like to see yancy pull off the upset but the pick for me is going to be uh Demir. i'm gonna go with decision but i like that knockout uh pick you got uh, there lock yeah, for sure. And uh, it is the the last time we actually saw Yance Medeiros pick up a win in the lightweight division was against John McDesi way back at UFC 194. Last time and only time I've ever actually been to Vegas for the Aldo McGregor card. So I'm hoping to turn the fortunes around and actually hit Vegas up either this year or next year. But regardless, uh, Uncle Weezy, give us those stats in regards to this matchup and who ultimately do you think ends up getting their hand, uh, getting their hand raised this weekend? Yeah, you know, what's really important about the stats for this particular fight is, is we can look at the Amir Hadzevich's takedown defense. It's 39%, which is terrible, okay? So he's going to get taken down basically anytime somebody tries to take him down. But the problem with that is that Yancey Medeiros in 14 UFC fights has only attempted four takedowns, and he's only gotten one, okay? So the easiest plan to, to beat Demir Hadzevich is to take this dude down, lay on top of him, eventually get a sub. We've never seen that from Medeiros, really, in the cage. He's got one takedown in 14 fights. So that makes me real buoyant on, on Hadzovich here because if this guy is going to be standing the whole time, one of the things that really sticks out about Medeiros is a 46.83% striking defense, right? That's not good at all. It means he's getting hit constantly, and we've seen it. it you know, we've seen it in Yancey's career. This guy gets knocked down a lot. He gets knocked out. He can take a beating. He is super tough. But both of these guys have power. Yancey uh, Medeiros lands a knockdown in about 2% of the, of the uh, significant strikes that he lands, and Hadzovic lands it on 1%. Now, that's both very good for lightweights and welterweights. But the problem is, is that Yancey's a lot more chinny, and it's because he's a lot more hittable. Um, Yancey Medeiros' striking defense is 46%, but Demir Hadzovic is 66%. Now, that's a huge gap there. So we see that Hadzovic is way better defensively on the striking side. He brings power, not as much power as Medeiros, but Medeiros is also shown to be a lot chinnier. So I'd be a lot more confident on Medeiros' ability to be able to use his power if he was going to mix it in with his grappling. But, you know, since he doesn't really grapple, uh, I, I see Hadzovic being better defensively. I see him 
um, being more accurate uh, when he does land strikes. And Yancey Medeiros has got a big problem that he only lands about four significant strikes per minute, but he absorbs 5.66. And that's just a, it's a function of that defense, which just hasn't been there. So I'm, you know, I'm definitely leaning Hadzovic here. Medeiros is super tough. It's going to be really hard to knock him out. Um, so I don't really have an opinion on the over-under on this one. I could see it ending early. I could see it going the distance, but I am going to lead Hadzovic here. I could probably, I would probably pick him by decision. All right. I like it. John, go ahead, brother. Uh, one thing I'll say about the stats differential between these two is the fighters that Hadzovic has fought are mostly grapplers. If you look down the list, uh, Held, Patrick, yeah. Hein, uh, Yagos, Moicano. So that's why you probably see the striking defense numbers a little bit better. And I think you got to give Yancey a little bit of benefit of the doubt because the guy's actually had a pretty tough strength of schedule over his UFC career. So I think you match uh, Hadzovic up with those same guys and his striking numbers or defense is, is the same or lower. So uh, I don't think uh, those the striking defense statistics will play too much into this, but um, – I do still think that, that Hadjavich is going to be outboxing him. So I think you got the read right. Perfect. I love it. All right, let's move this train along. A fight that's been getting a lot of talk over the last at least 24 to 36 hours is Justin James against Charles Rosa. We got uh, Justin James apparently wagering $25,000 on himself. We'll see uh, if that actually comes through for him this weekend. In terms of odds, we're talking about minus 165 for Charles Rosa, plus 145-ish for Justin James. And I'm actually going to let my guy Jonah kick this one off for us. Jonah, how are you feeling about this matchup? Yeah, you know, I wish I had a take as strong as uh, Justin James's on uh, his self-belief here <laughs> with the $25,000 bet. I, I just don't. I think that this is uh, pretty easily a pass for me. Uh, you know, you look at Justin James, I think it's pretty clear to me that he is not a UFC-level fighter. No disrespect once the fight leaves that first round. Uh, it's just the honest truth of what we've seen inside the octagon, outside the octagon, too. I mean, this guy has not won a fight that left round one since 2017. Uh, and it's not like that's an anomaly. You watch his fight and you look at the tape, and it's because of his style. He will come out and throw uh, hooks pretty much as hard as he can looking to hurt his opponent. And, uh, you know, theoretically, he has a decent wrestling game. Like, I do think he could see some top control here against Charles Rosa. Uh, but I also am just not comfortable betting a guy who I think a bulk of his win condition comes in round one uh, via knockout. And then on the other side with Charles Rosa, it's like I've always thought he was a little bit underrated and like his style of just point fighting on the outside has kind of allowed him to stay in fights. But we've seen recently in both the Bryce Mitchell and Derek Minner fights where he's just had nothing off his back. And, you know, I know he has submitted Manny Bermudez before. I know that he's a capable BJJ player, a well above average one. But in terms of MMA grappling, I feel like Rosa is just way too content to be on his back. And it could be one of those situations where Janes goes all out for the finish in round one, doesn't get it, and shoots a weak takedown in round two and could still be on top for two, three, four minutes. Uh, and then things get really sketchy when you're laying a minus 170 price on Charles Rosa. So uh, for me, it's a pass. You know, I think Rosa is clearly the better fighter uh, in terms of actual skill i think he probably covers this number and then some it's just hard to bet on a guy who has shown the susceptibility to get stuck on his back so much against someone who could theoretically wrestle in this spot but uh i got rosa i just think he's the better fighter i just don't want to lay that type of chalk on him at this point john how are you feeling about the big ass balls that justin james has in terms of throwing the 25k on himself and then ultimately how do you see uh this fight playing out yeah, I uh, sent out a tweet calling a little bit of cap on that. I think that, you know, it's possible that he puts some money, but uh, I mean, where's this guy getting 25000 from? He probably got paid like 25000 his whole UFC career so far. Um, one thing I'll say about uh, James is I think this is his easiest UFC opponent to date, right? I think we can agree on that because the guy came in, Camacho, uh, Devontae Smith, Gavin Tucker, 
Benitez, all good fighters. Yeah. And this is kind of a, a step down, a pretty hefty step down. And I do have a lot of concerns over James. I mean, it doesn't feel good having the money on the guy, but at plus 150, I, I still think he's the side. And over some of Jonah's concerns about round one, Derek Minner, I think, also has about like 80% of his wins in round one. And a lot of people are probably hesitant on playing Minner, but then he ended up being fine in rounds two and three. So I just think Rosa is so far past his prime and has a lot of weaknesses that plus 150, I still think there's value there. And I don't disagree with the small bet on James at all. In terms of an official pick for this one, I really struggle, but I got to go with James. Um, Round one knockout is possible. That's his most likely path to victory, but I think he could even get enough work done in the first two rounds to win a decision here. Round three is going to be sketchy, but uh, I, I'm siding with James by either knockout or decision. All right, Weezy, let us know what your what your thoughts are on this fight between James and Charles Rosa. This is one. It's going to be a pass for me. Um, you know, we haven't seen much of James. Four fights in the UFC cage, but the average fight time is only six point two eight minutes. So I mean, you know. He went out there and he just starched Camacho and then, you know, Tucker subbed him, Benitez knocks him out, Smitty knocks him out. And, you know, those are all really good opponents. I mean, Tucker, Benitez, and Smith is really tough for a guy who's got one UFC fight. That's a that's kind of a murderer's row for, for a newbie. And, you know, and then Rosa, you know, he's got that great grappling game, um, really is known for his Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I mean, the fact that he subbed Manny Bermudez is a major feather in his cap. You know, I, I have to lean Rosa here just because I haven't seen enough of James at this level to to kind of formulate what his path to victory here is. I know he's a good wrestler, and I know that Rosa has struggled with wrestling in his last couple of fights, especially that Bryce, that Bryce Mitchell fight. And then Minner just really wrestle-fucked him too. So, you know, if James being one of the wrestling coaches over at Extreme Couture is – and now that he's got a full camp for this fight, maybe there's a path to victory for him from wrestling – but I haven't seen it yet at the UFC level. And if he does try to get down on the ground with with uh, Rosa, you know, he's going to be playing with fire because Rosa's a black belt and he's got some slick submissions. And I don't think that James's offensive grappling is on par with Mitchell and, and Minner. You know, those guys are really tough submission artists. James, we don't, you know, he's more of a lay and pray, uh, ground and pound, control the cage type of wrestler. So, I got to lean Rosa here, but I just don't really have a strong lean either way. A lot of talk about James putting all that money on himself, but, you know, I try to I try to not pay attention to that stuff too much. So, yeah, I'm going to lean Rosa here with not a lot of uh, confidence, and I, I don't really even have a lean on the over-under either. All right, well, uh, it seems like there's a lot of people out there that are picking Rosa, but just picking him because for the sake of picking him. But like, I feel like I'm on a, on an island here in terms of the confidence level in which I have on Charles Rosa because I do believe in him. And I think he is a really good spot here. Now, some people might scoff at me in terms of thinking that I'm actually placing him at 80% in this fight, betting him, willing to bet him, you know, all the way up to the, the, the minus 300s, minus 400s in this spot. And I think that there's a lot of people that are just on the the buy low side on Charles Rosa here. I think it's truly due to the last three fights, right? He's one and two in his last fights. Uh, oh, one and two in his last three fights. One of those coming against Kevin Aguilar, which stylistically speaking, I think is similar to this Justin James fight. But I do think that Kevin Aguilar is a much better a version of what Justin James brings to the table outside of the, the wrestling skills that Justin James brings to the table. The other two things regarding the Bryce Mitchell and Derek Minner fights, Uncle Weezy was on the, the, the nail here in terms of 
um, the, the, the level of jujitsu capabilities of those guys is far surpassed what Justin James brings to the table here. So I think if Justin decides to go out there and wrestle fuck Charles Rosa and tries to take the, a page out of Derek Minner's book or Bryce Mitchell's book, he's going to find himself in a sub. I think that I don't think he has the cardio to, to control Charles Rosa or, or deal with the offensive uh, nature of Charles Rosa off of his back. Now, even though Derek Minner was able to just, again, he kind of grapple fucking for 15 minutes, he was dealing with arm bars and triangles coming up at him pretty much every couple seconds. Like, he was not able to settle on top, and I'd be very surprised if Justin James finds much success in terms of staying on top if he decides to go the wrestle fucking route. Now, if he goes out there and just tries to wing bombs, and obviously we know that he's always live for a first-round knockout, just ask Frank Camacho, but I still think that Charles Russell only ever one knockout loss on his record to Shane Burgos, who's, who he was lighting up for about two rounds up until that third round. And then also... Um, uh, he's gotten to drop three times in the UFC. Another one that people always want to point to, obviously leading up to this fight, was the one against Derek Minner. I'm going to be completely honest. I think a lot of people, even Charles Rosa himself, would admit this. He was probably underestimating the striking skills of Derek Minner, thinking that he was just trying to get this fight to the ground. So I think he'll give James a lot more respect. You see when he's in a southpaw style, people say that he likes to keep his hands down low. And the southpaw style is when you see his Wonder Boy-esque style, where he, where he's, uh, you know, in, in that karate stance. When he's in the orthodox stance, you see him in more of a conventional boxing stance and i think that's what he'll probably be using here in terms of trying to be prepared for whatever is going to be coming his way regarding the power of justin james so uh, yeah i i feel very similar to when i had the money on gavin tucker against justin james and the surprise that the public actually even bet justin james to a favorite in that fight and yeah it got a little bit hairy in that first round don't get me wrong but gavin tucker was able to uh get through that and i think uh and then obviously take over in the second and third rounds finding that finish i think charles rosa survives that first round, and then starts getting the body work going, great kicks up the middle, great kicks to the body, starts sucking the gas tank out of Justin James, and then starts to open up a little bit more, maybe lands a takedown of himself, but I think he's ultimately going to find the win via submission here, and I think that it's just going to be very tough for Justin James to keep up with that, with what Charles Rosa is going to be throwing at him, and then obviously the, the submission onslaught, that's going to be coming his way as well too, so yeah, I am absolute i feel like i'm i'm on an absolute island because people are just all over justin james for some reason over the last 24 to 36 hours especially after he dropped that uh betting on himself thing he looks in great shape don't get me wrong we're here to talk about the wins as well look great in the uh, at the wins i thought he looked the same that he did in the gavin tucker fight to be honest that was the only other time he's been down at 145 in the ufc so yeah he's going to look a little bit more cut up and stuff uh but i, I still don't think it's going to be enough J uh, jonah was on the on the head here as well in regards to i don't think that justin james is uh ufc caliber he is not and i think that he's a, he's the definition of a ko or bus type of guy his cardio is not going to hold up here either against charles rosa so i'll start i'll quit blabbering my mouth off here but i'm pretty big on charles rosa in this spot minus 175 i was more than happy to take that shot uh i will say my biggest play was going to be Ramazan Amiv against Warley Alves, but Ramazan Amiv unfortunately had to pull out. And then the next spot down for me was Charles Rosa, and I had to unload on that. So I might be looking like a complete dumbass come Saturday afternoon, but I do think that I have a very good edge in this spot, at least the way that I'm looking at it. And I'm taking Charles Rosa by finish. The sub prop is around plus 200. I think that's a decent spot too, as I think he can get the finish here. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got uh, Julia Vila versus Julia Stoliarenko. This was a fight that was supposed to take place in March as well. And it's the infamous moment. A lot of people remember Stoliarenko steps on the scale and then falls off, falls into the backdrop and just has a very brutal scene at the weigh-ins there. They obviously call 
all off the fight, and now they're scheduled three months later. I'm actually going to let John uh, kick this one off. In terms of odds, we got minus 345 on Avilia and roughly around plus 300 for Stoliarenko. John, how do you see this uh, women's, I believe it's bantamweight scrap, uh, going down? And uh, do you think that the, the underdog, the heavy underdog, has any value in this spot? Uh, I'm not sure if I would say that Stoyarenko has value, but I certainly wouldn't bet Avila minus 350, mostly just because if she ends on her back at any point in this fight, uh, I think minus 350 is going to be a bad bet. And, you know, she did get taken down and put on bottom by Eubanks, and I do think there's a massive difference between the grappling of Eubanks and Stoyarenko, but I still think that Stoyarenko could get a trip, a takedown of some sort, and... I don't think she's going to have a lot of grappling success, prolonged success, because most of her grappling wins are like arm bars off of her back. Um, but still, Avila minus 350 for the possibility of her losing an entire round off of one takedown, I'll pass on that. But I'm down to stab on the Avila knockout prop. I had I bet this earlier in the week at plus 340, mostly just because I think that Stolyarenko is kind of a punching bag on the feet. She doesn't really see the punches coming well. She doesn't move her head, and she takes a lot of damage. I mean, she had that one Invicta, Invicta War where the entire cage was covered in blood. Um, but she she's she's very tough. I think that um not you know calling her a quitter or anything, but I do think that Avila could connect with some punches and uh Stoyarenko might shell up and it might be like kind of a Gina Mazzani type of finish here if uh, Avila can lay some hands on her early. So dogger pass money line wise, but I do think Avila is gonna get that boxing knockout here pretty early on in the fight. I like it, John. I think that this is definitely one of those crafty plus money underspots that people should actually be looking at and uh, maybe taking a shot on Wheezy. Smiling. How are you feeling about this match? <laughs> oh, I can't wait to get to, over to Jonah because I think he might actually have a play here. Wheezy, though, uh, let us know what your thoughts are on on this fight. Yeah, man. Uh, Avila's tough. You know, I mean, when she gets somebody hurt, she really goes all out for the finish and she hits super hard. You know, you don't see a whole lot of power in the women's divisions, but Avila's definitely got that power. And then on the other side, you got Stolia Ranko, who's basically, you know, she's a, a one-trick pony. She's got uh, nine professional wins, and eight of them are by submission, and all eight are by armbar. So this is one of those things that it just feels like a really, really wide line. You know, I mean, you're giving up a lot of juice to bet Avila here. I, you know, I, I think that John's on something where, you know, if you're going to bet Avila, probably go for that KO prop because – if she gets Stoliarenko in any trouble here, as tough as Stoliarenko is and as little quit as there is in that woman, I still think Avila, if she lands the right shot, she can finish her. Um, she's just got to stay out of Stoliarenko's guard because that's where the arm bars come from. If she fights this fight smart, she should finish it. She should win it pretty easily. Uh, you know, if you're on the Avila side and you don't feel like you want to, you know, take too much risk, maybe you just hedge just a tiny bit with that Stoliarenko by submission because that's pretty much the only way that she wins this fight. I mean, you got to believe if it stays standing that, you know, Avila is just going to pound on her. And, you know, the way that Stoliarenko got held up against the cage by Kunitskaya for like 12 out of the 15 minutes of that fight, uh, Avila is very strong. And, um, you know, she could probably do that too. So I think that Avila will probably be able to stay comfortable in this fight. She can Keep it standing. She should have a really easy time, but she's got to fight smart. And uh, if she makes a dumb move, she could get snatched up here by Stoliarenko. So I'm not confident enough to bet it. But if I were to take a side here, I would go Avila by knockout because I think that that's probably the most likely path. And at least you're getting some value there, you know, instead of laying minus 350, minus 400 and just hoping that she wins. So, yeah, I'd, I'd take Avila by knockout. 
but you know, maybe I would just take a little sprinkle on that. I, this is not a fight I'm, I'm terribly confident about either way. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to be biting on the chalk here on Julia Vila. I do think that she has some high upside, at least in terms of being a, a solid contender within this division once she starts to be a little bit more active because that's kind of been her kryptonite is uh, pretty much activity. Like, we just don't see much of her. Uh, and then, unfortunately, she did have to drop down a couple rungs last time after taking an L to Sajara Eubanks as a pretty hefty favorite once again. But uh, like John said, like Weezy said, I love the under in this spot, man. I love the, the plus money spot. When they are originally scheduled to fight back in March, I took a shot at that plus 150 uh, i thought that was a good shot and even this time I, I got plus 133 this time but i still like the plus money spot because i still think that both girls are capable of a finish i love calling stoliarenko the lithuanian ronda rousey like how can you not with eight r bar wins out of nine wins total you gotta do it right i, I believe somebody else actually gave her that moniker but i'm gonna keep it alive for sure uh but i do think that she's gonna run into some trouble here with the black belt to davila i'd be surprised if we get a you know a meme women's mma arm bar from guard type of thing but even if it does at least that would cast the under as long as it happens within the first 12 and a half minutes of this fight i do think avila controls where this fight goes also last thing i'll say actually about stoli Horenko, uh, you guys were talking about the kunitskaya fight i found that to be one of the most uh, probably one of the most hilarious fights i've ever seen regarding uh you know yana kunitskaya trying to implementing her like uh dirty clinch game you know dirty boxing in the clinch and uh fucking stoli Horenko just trying to drop down and trying to like get a pull guard but the yana kunitskaya is just like holding her up with her double underdogs i don't think i've ever seen that in a fight before but yana made it known what her game plan was it was clinch fucking not not grapple fucking clinch fucking uh and then uh Stolyarenko, you know sometimes she did uh, a couple times she did actually get successful in terms of pulling guard and he, she did i believe at one time have a very close uh submission but yana Krinskaya stayed disciplined stayed uh smart and got out of those submissions as i'm expecting with julia vila here as well regardless i'm hoping it's an arm that gets snatched a neck that gets snatched uh, a knockout that happens regardless as long as that under two and a half hits i'll be happy here but i think it's ultimately going to be julia vila who gets her hand raised uh via knockout i love that knockout prop by john uh, but I'm just going to cover a little bit more ground and take that under two and a half. Uh, Jonah, take us home in terms of this matchup. How are you feeling here? Yeah, uh, I, I played the under as well. I got under two Attaboy. and a half plus 162, I want to say, earlier nice. this week. Um, I was going to play the under in the first iteration of this fight. Uh, I think I had like a plus 188 at, the, at, at that point. Uh, and then obviously not as good a number this time around. But uh, it's one of those things where, you know, I think you guys cover the matchup. I don't need to spend too much time on it. I just think Avila has this quality that we see in women's MMA, normally at the lower divisions, but even, you know, at this weight class where I think she's just too physical uh, for Stolia Ranko. It's one of those things where... Uh, Something must have just happened in Bellator or PFL because everyone everyone's watching. No, no, no. <laughs> Capaloza <laughs> got a pretty good uh, knockout over uh, Mo Reese, but I'm just looking at the standings right now because uh, they still have that Brandon Sales. I, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head who he's supposed to fight. Brandon Sales, uh, Dennis Goldsoff. Yeah, yeah, uh, that match has been still coming up. But yeah, continue. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's just funny. I saw everyone looking up. I was like, oh my god, did I miss something in PFL? <laughs> uh, but but back to this matchup. Uh, I just think Avila is too physical for her. You know, we saw against Mazami, yeah. it was a KO. I know Avila doesn't have the crispest, you know, the most crisp technique in the world, but she hits hard. She's super physical. And, you know, she dropped Kanzad, who's a pretty decent kickboxer. Like Avila has the ability to hang in technical fights, but also if you get, you know, a girl who she's just way more physical than, stronger than, hits harder than, which is what I think we have this weekend, I really think she's just going to run Stoliarenko over early in this fight. Uh, the under gets, you know, some of that insurance for the Stoliarenko submission. Uh, you know, you know, the 
the fighter is not so great when the thing that we're praising is, oh, she was able to pull guard once or twice in that <laughs> fight against Kuna Takaya. Like, she just, her win condition is very much limited, I think. Yeah. And uh, I think Ivala is honestly a better grappler than her, a better wrestler, wrestler than her. So uh, I, I think Ivala gets it done. If I had to bet the money line, I'd honestly probably lay the chalk. But I think the under is just a better look because if Ivala is going to look minus 300, minus 400, uh, she's going to get her out of there early. So uh, under two and a half plus 162 for my second bet of the week. I love it. I love it. I love me a violence bet. And I'm glad that uh, pretty much everybody on the panel is on the same page here. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got uh, talk about violence. Uh, we were supposed to get violence in his last fight, Marcin Pracnio going up against Ike Villanueva. Uh, I think probably the most unpredictable outcome last time around with Pracnio winning by decision over Khalil Roundtree, I believe, back in January. Uh, Uncle Weezy, I'm sure your stats were not able to predict that one for us. But please do let us know how you feel like this matchup between Villanueva and Pracnio will go down tomorrow night. You know, I, I hope when this fight ends, it won't be like it, like in the last time when I was standing in front of that TV holding that round tree ticket saying, what fucking happened here? What happened? You know, I mean, like I, I remember placing that bet and I was actually laughing out loud thinking, wow, they, you know, Pratchneo comes out against uh, Alvi, gets knocked out twice. And then he gets starched in the first round again against Ankaliyev, and you know, and that that shot that Ankaliyev didn't that hit him with, it hit his arm, and then he, his own arm knocked him out. And then and then Rodriguez, you know, gets him in the clinch and just swools him. And I'm thinking to myself, why did this guy even get a fourth fight? You know, so it just seemed like such easy money. But you know, with Prachnil, I'm not even going to talk about the stats too much. Let's talk stylistic in this matchup because Prachnil is a karate guy. Um, he's got uh, 19 uh, pro fights, 14 wins, I believe. Let's see, we've got a 71% knockout rate and a 7% sub. So, you know, he's he's uh, had 11 wins by finish. You know, this guy finishes fights. He's a striker first, and, and it's the same thing with Villanueva. But the, it's, the, it's the clash of styles because Prachnio is a karate guy, so he's going to need distance. He's going to need space. And... Villanueva just uses his hands. He's not really even a kickboxer as much as he is just a boxer. So if Ike wants to be successful in this fight, he's going to need to march Marson down, not give him that room uh, to, to get off the, that kick-heavy attack, to get off that point-fighting style. That and, and plus, I think Roundtree actually did win that fight against him. It was a close fight. Prachnio didn't win that one running away. But I think that Ike can march him down. I think Ike can make this fight very uncomfortable for Marcin, and he, Ike is not going to stand in front of Marcin and Prachnio like Khalil Roundtree did. Uh, he's going to make this a very dirty fight. Uh, he's going to make it – he's going to stay close. He's probably going to put his back up against the cage, and he's probably going to have success the same way Rodriguez did, getting in close, using those elbows and those fists in, in the clinch. That's how I see Ike winning this fight. I have a one-unit bet on uh, Villanueva here, and I also love the under in this fight. I love the under because, you know, Villanueva can get knocked out too. He has been knocked out a couple times, but the dude is tough as hell. You know, he's really only getting finished by heavyweights, juice heads, and, and getting stopped by cut, by cuts. Uh, otherwise, you got to bury this guy to get him out of there. So I am going with Villanueva. I feel pretty damn comfortable about this. If you're betting Prachnio at minus 200, you got a fucking problem, in my opinion. <laughs> in my opinion. I wouldn't bet this guy at minus 120, 130, you know, against anybody. So, yeah, I'm going with Villanueva here. 
It's one of the more confident picks I have on the card. I think he's going to march him down, make it ugly, and beat the shit out of him. Yeah, yeah. Two, the top two favorite moments for me, and meme wise, in the UFC, one number one, easy number one, Betch Cohea punching herself when she was fighting Marie, Marie and Renault, and two, uh, fucking Marcin Pragnio walking into the left hook of Sam Alvey over and over again until he eventually gets fucking knocked out. Probably my favorite, uh, second favorite moment of UFC history, meme wise. But yeah, I absolutely agree with Weezy here. He hit all the notes, man. He, he's very on the money here regarding Pracnial. Uh, the way he found success in the Cleo Roundtree fight was kicks, kick, 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 kick. And Cleo Roundtree was just too scared to close the distance because I think he fears for his own chin. I think that Cleo Roundtree does not fully trust his own chin and he wasn't comfortable enough in terms of closing the distance. So he just let Pracnial light him up with kicks for the majority of the 15 minutes in their fight. There was that close uh, uh, encounter for Prakneo at the ending of that second round where he almost got finished, but outside of that, Cleo had almost no uh, success in that fight at all. Here against Ike Villanueva, for some reason, he seems to be the butt of the joke in the MMA betting community, but you got to believe that he has a solid chance to go out there and beat a guy like Prakneo, whose chin I still heavily question. I just think that he has a very bad uh, bad chin. I think he has terrible durability issues, and I think that a guy like Ike Villanueva, like uh, Weezy said, a bruiser type of guy a, a, a boxer who's not going to stand in front of Pragno. he's going to move forward he's not going to give him the space that he needs to get his kicks off and he's going to stay in his face and probably knock him out so yeah i do like uh villanueva here as well and i gotta say he is probably the one underdog i feel uh, like most confident about on this card a straight underdog my official dog of the night play that i actually put out was the under in the last fight that we just talked about but my next spot would have been ike villanueva i feel a little bit better about that under from the last fight but villanueva would be my next dog spot as i feel like he can go out there and find that chin of pracnio so i, I yeah i don't need to spend too much time on it i feel like Weezy pretty much hit all the points there i got villanueva villanueva by knockout but even that the 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 line on him straight i think is good enough to even take a shot on him there uh jonah are you going to give any validity to Pracnow here, or are you on the Villanueva Island as well? You know, I think there's some validity to the Ike takes in the sense that, like, Prachnia was knocked out, you know, three times in a row, big underdog to Khalil Roundtree. I thought he won that fight, um, yeah. but it certainly wasn't a performance that made you think, oh, this guy is, you know, uh, deserves to be minus 200 in the UFC. That being said, you know, Ike Villanueva in his last time out, which is his first and only UFC victory, he was pretty consistent in the striking with Vinicius Moreira for a round, which I, you know, I just don't feel great about that. You know, Procneo, say what you want about the guy. He is a decent kickboxer. And with Ike Villanueva, you know, uh, I liked Weezy's breakdown in this fight, and he said he was looking more towards uh, the stylistics. If you just look at the the stats real quick for Ike Villanueva, he has about 15, 16 minutes of cage time in the UFC. That's basically one fight going the distance. He literally has not landed a leg kick and he <laughs> almost hasn't hit his opponent to the body. I mean, he's a very one dimensional, uh, he was undersized at heavyweight. He's probably at his correct weight class now uh, at light heavyweight. It's just one of those things where like, he's just very one dimensional. And I think he's capable of winning the fight. You know, Procneo's defense, it's not only that he's chinny per se, and he got knocked out with his guard up. He walked into that Alvi left hook however many times as you talked about, Locke. Like, this guy is not defensively sound. I do think he's the better fighter in Procneo. Would I lay minus 200? No. Uh, I do think he gets the victory. What I bet is I actually have another violence uh, violence bet on this fight. I played does not go the distance at, I think, minus 156 in this spot. It just feels like a market overreaction the same way Procneo being minus 200 is. I mean, Cleo Roundtree, that fight was massively favor 10 inside the distance he wins via decision and like 
it's not often that we have a fight where these two guys and their combined seven UFC appearances have been finished five times. That's not five of seven have ended inside the distance. That's they have lost via KO, you know, five of the seven times. So uh, in order to get an under, you obviously know, need someone to get the finish and someone to get finished. I think both these guys are more than capable of getting finished. Uh, and I just need one of them uh, to land a big shot. And I think they'll have 15 minutes primarily at striking distance to get it done. So, uh, yeah, I'm on the under in this spot with another violence bet. That fight doesn't go to decision line looks mighty juicy to me, especially with you bringing it to my attention. I had no idea I was actually at minus 165. That is absolutely crazy. Good luck to you. And I might actually end up tailing you on that because I do like I that spot as well. It's moved a little bit. I, I see like minus 180 now. I got minus 156 earlier in the week. You know, if, if you line shop, I think there's probably some minus 165, minus 170s out there still. John, uh, how are you feeling about this one? You on the crack me out train? Or are you liking Villanueva as well? I'm actually, actually going to go a little contrarian here. I like the goes the distance here. So it was still available at plus 200 on FanDuel. Um, the goes the distance is plus 175, but the fight ends by points, which is the same bet as plus 200. So uh, I like that because I do agree with Ike having the more knockout side uh, as Weezy mentioned Villanueva is very tough. Uh, he actually fought, I think, at, at middleweight before uh, in his career, and now he's you know kind of way inflated, so he could take punches really well. So if there's a finish in this fight, I do lean it towards being an Ike knockout. I just can't really see Prochnio landing a knockout here. Um, one other big difference is the Prochnio from the regionals and in his Russian fights or Polish fights. And the guy after I think is much different. I mean, the guy came off the sauce and I kind of liked his last fight though. I mean, he was getting underrated and he proved that he was actually a lot better fighter than a lot of us were giving us credit for. I mean, like, like Locke said, that was such an unpredictable outcome uh, for him to get that decision win. So this fight, I think, um, I think it is going to go the distance. I think Prochnio is going to have success with his kicks on the outside. Uh, Villanueva is going to be trying to land those hands. As you guys have said, he's a strict boxer. Uh, I do think, what uh, as opposed to what Jonah said, I do think he kind of has an idea of how to hit the body, and I think that's probably going to be uh, something he's going to attack in this fight. But I just see it being hard for him to close the distance when Prashino is going to be spamming those kicks, those body kicks on his guard. And I kind of see this being a competitive decision. Villanueva is going to have success with his hands. Prashino is going to have success with his kicks. I think it's going to be a competitive decision where either guy is going to win. And if it is a, a finish, as I mentioned, I think it is going to be Ike knockout. And money line side, I do agree that you can't be laying minus 170 or higher on Prashino. So money line side, uh, Villanueva is the side. I don't disagree with the, uh, your guys' bets on him at all. And I uh, wouldn't be mad at either guy winning here because I'm on the goes to distance. Just a half unit play on goes to distance plus 200. Plus 845, according to Five Dimes, was the line on Prakniya to win by decision in his last fight. So shout out to anybody that was sharp enough to actually bet that. Nobody bet that. No, no, no. <laughs> They're liars. They're absolute liars if they've said so. I agree with you, my man. All right. Let's move on to the fifth fight of the night that we got. We got Short Norris, Jeremiah Wells. Uh, Jonah had something he wanted to say. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Jonah. One thing real quick. I think uh, the number that Martian got right there on the goes to decision at plus 200, that's pretty solid. You know, I think we should just like remind people and just remind ourselves as betters, like we're betting numbers and not necessarily fighters or specific props. And so if I'm betting doesn't go to decision minus 156 and that market now on FanDuel has moved to minus 230, I actually think there's you know, I wouldn't say value, like I wouldn't bet it if I hadn't bet 
uh, officially, if I hadn't bet the minus 156 to not go the distance, I wouldn't be interested in betting 200. And I probably won't arbitrage out. You know, I could lock in a 15% ROI right now. That's just not really my style when I'm already on a good bet. Uh, but I think it's interesting. Like if you're looking at those numbers that Martian has, I don't think that, uh, you know, goes the distance plus 200 is a bad bet, despite the fact that I'm literally on the opposite side and only one can win. So I just think that's like an important thing to, uh, for all of us to remember as we're betting fights. Absolutely, absolutely. Betting the number rather than the outcome is definitely the way to be a, a successful capper for sure. And that's something that a lot of people definitely overlook in this game. All right, let's move on to the next fight. Like I said, Jeremiah Wells, short notice, CF, CFFC champ coming in, taking on Wally Alves. As I said earlier in the podcast, uh, I was actually pretty heavy on Ramazan Amiv before he had to pull out. I believe he had visa issues, which kept him out of this fight. Now Wally Alves takes on newcomer Jeremiah Wells. Uh, in terms of odds, we got minus 230-ish on Wally Alves plus 200 ish on mr uh jeremiah wells uh tough fight for me to break down here i'm, I'm still trying to get a full grasp on jeremiah wells in this spot uh you know Wardy alves uh, he is a guy that i did fade last time around against when says fully learned my lesson in that fight in terms of just you know you can't just take a guy off of one you know very good uh fight like he had against abdul razak al hassan and think he's going to be able to translate that into his next fight uh but while alves definitely showed us his, his experience and his durability definitely will come through when he needs it most uh here against jeremiah wazo he seems like he should be able to cruise seems like a spot where he'll be able to either land takedowns uh have success with his striking i feel like he might be the bigger or the heavier puncher at least the more technical puncher too whereas jeremiah was it seems like he has his, his success in short little bursts every now and then he'll have that little burst of uh, like a blitz attack moving forward throwing big bombs if it lands great if it doesn't you know that that's fine too uh two of his losses both of them coming via decision uh he only has i believe two or three fights uh where he's won via decision as well so it seems more often than not he does focus on trying to find that big shot to put his opponents out uh while the others you know seems to have some cardio issues at times too so that's a little bit of a concern especially when you're looking at possibly dropping minus 230 on chalk here i don't think that this is one of those spots that where people should be going you know running to the betting window and parlaying while the alves in the spot this could be in a, like a shocker like we had it a couple weeks ago as well where you know some people credit to them i even myself i picked kamala kirk to beat uh maquan americani coming in on short notice and this could be another spot where we could get an upset but i just don't see where jeremiah wells truly runs off the table like unless he lands an knockout blow of some sort then yeah sure he probably gets the win here but i think that wally alves will be able to take whatever wells is throwing at him not to mention the level of competition is just a dramatic step up for jeremiah wells compared to what he was fighting on the cffc scene so i do like wally alves here uh, I, I'm still trying to figure out the method in which he wins. You know, more often than not, he does like to, to get the finish. Even the the line, the inside the distance line, is currently sitting around minus 160. So uh, minus 165 for the under two and a half, which leads us to believe that this fight will probably be a violence spot. But I just feel like well, Alves will just do what he needs to do to win this fight. And last thing I'll actually say about it, if you guys are a prize picks person, they actually have Warley Alves takedowns at one. I definitely am taking the over there as I do think that he should be able to land at least one takedown here against Jeremiah Wells to kind of nullify the big power that's going to be coming back his way from the Jeremiah Wells side of things. But I'm going to take uh, Alves. All week I've kind of been saying by decision, but I've been flip-flopping in my head whether he's going to get the knockout, submission, or decision. I'll stick with my guns at decision, but it's not uh, my most confident spot on the card either. So I'm going to go Alves by decision in this spot. Uh, Jonah, I'll, I'll shift it on over to you. How are you feeling about this fight? Yeah, you know, with Jeremiah Wells, I love that you brought up the Kemwella Kirk victory a few weeks ago because I feel like it's hard for me to, you know, wager on these guys uh, who are coming in on short notice during the COVID era, who 
who with Wells, he's coming off a two year layoff. Like we haven't seen this two years. He's 34 years old. He's not some, you know, massive prospect at this point. Uh, and for every Ken Wellekirk, for every, you know, Terrence McKinney, there's a bunch of guys who have come in and gotten their ass kicked and not been heard from since, uh, you know, and I feel like yeah. that's just kind of a false narrative that's been portrayed by these like short notice guys are coming in, getting the victory on short notice. I feel like, yeah, you know, some of the times they do, uh, but it's not really a trend that I think has much, uh, much semblance behind it. So uh, for me, like, I think Alves is the better fighter. He clearly has flaws in terms of the cardio you mentioned before. Uh, but if we look at this guy's entire career, like he's lost three times in the last five years to Kamaru Usman, James Krause, and Randy Brown. Like That's a pretty decent resume when you're fighting a 34-year-old on a week's notice. So am I laying the chalk with Worley Alves at minus 230? Probably not, but I'm also not rushing to bet uh, a guy in a really tough circumstance here. You know, Weezy said earlier in the show he likes to throw the narratives out, and I do too. Uh, I think narratives are completely overplayed in MMA, but this isn't even a narrative thing. It's just like put yourself in this guy's shoes. This has nothing to do with betting 25K on yourself. This is a guy who has not fought in two years and is now fighting a high-level UFC fighter uh, on a week's notice. I just think that's a really tough spot to go into. So uh, a pass for me on the current line. I think Alvis gets it done this weekend. I love it. John, how are you feeling about this matchup? So Wells is a Philly guy. I've known about him for a little bit. I've actually seen him fight live once, and he does train at the best uh, MMA gym in Philadelphia, the same gym Sean Brady trains at EEFC, and they are a good gym, uh, gym so I, I'm sure he's going to improve. He hasn't fought in a year and a half. That's a concern, but I think the guy's been signed to the UFC for about a year now. I could be wrong. I think he was supposed to fight yeah. Miguel Baeza. Correct. But, yeah, so... I think he's kind of been preparing for this. I'm sure his training has upped in intensity as he's been preparing, preparing for this uh, UFC debut. So I think we will see some improvements. But going back to his past few fights, man, I'm not impressed. I, I think that he does have some power in his hands. Obviously, he got that nice knockout, but he doesn't have the highest striking output. He can hit takedowns and stay in top position, but I don't think he's the greatest top position grappler. So the guy is well-rounded everywhere, but just doesn't ex excel in any one particular area. And on the other side, Alves... This guy's really hot and cold. I mean, you look at his past four fights. He's, you know, looked bad in two of them, looked great in two of them. Um, and I think that he will come out and win round one here. And if you like Jeremiah Wells, just wait to live bet him, honestly, because see how he does after three, five minutes. See if Alves is slowing down, blowing his whole gas tank. And Alves did look great against Laziz there, um, or Mornier Lazez. Uh, but he also came out extremely hard in round one there. And yeah. if Lozez survives that, that body kick, that onslaught there, who knows what that fight looks like in rounds two and three. So uh, I do favor Alves in round one. I'm going to be picking him straight out, but look to live bet uh, Jeremiah Wells after the first round here. And uh, it would be cool to see the Philly guy pull off the upset victory. Yeah, I, I definitely do agree with uh, John in terms of the, the heat that Warley Alves came out with in that Lizette's fight. It almost felt like he felt the disrespect that everybody was throwing into that fight. Obviously, the better than the line was heavily skewed in the Lizette's size. And even the, the UFC marketing machine, it seemed like they were really getting behind when you're Lizette, especially over there on Fight Island, uh, you know, closer to where he's actually from. Uh, Wheezy, how do you see this one playing out? And do you actually think the short notice Jeremiah Wallace has the chops to pull off the upset here? Yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough road to hoe for Mr. Wells here, man, because, you know, I'm looking at the strength of schedule metrics that I keep uh, on my stats. And Worley Alves overall in his uh, UFC competition, he's fighting guys that have a 2.26 win to loss ratio outside of their fights with with uh, Alves. So they have, they have, you know, an average record of 5.83 and 2.58. So whenever you see a ratio over two, it means that they're they're fighting with some really good competition, and then you got Wells 
like John had just mentioned, this guy's coming in, I think, one year and nine months. It might even be a two-year layoff. He hasn't fought since 2019. There's a huge discrepancy in the level of competition that these guys have fought. And, you know, they're both finishers, but Wells has never been finished. If we look at the pro experience, you know, Alves way more experience in addition to having fight fought the tougher competition. Then you then you pile on that that Wells is four years older. You know, he's 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 34 and Morley Alves is still 30. So I you know, I see Alves actually having the power advantage here, even though that that knockout that Wells knocked out that Ali dude, that was scary. That dude slept. I mean, that was a so, you know, obviously this guy, Wells, he does have some power in his hands, but so does Alves. If Alves lands any of those body kicks like he did against Lizez, man, it's going to be over for Wells. There's just too many things against Wells right now. The huge layoff, the huge level of competition step up that he's making here. And then you got the uh, the nerves of a UFC debut that you got to deal with, and you're doing it on short notice. You know, uh, it, it, it's hard to see Wells winning this fight. I got a bet on the under in this one. Uh, I, actually, I think I got minus 140. The fight doesn't go to decision on uh, FanDuel a couple days ago before the line really moved. I see somebody getting finished here, most likely Wells. Yeah, not to mention all the things that you just laid out that Wells has to do with going into this fight. Then you got Wally Alves staring across the cage from you. Like it, it's not a good look for Wells to be coming into the UFC uh, uh, with the with the stiff test like uh, Wally Alves across from. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. We got Michel Prezerich, uh himself coming off a pretty lengthy layoff as well, going up against Shavkat Rachmanov, who seems to be the talk of the town this week. Uh, Jonah, I'm actually going to let you kick this one off. You think Shavkat is all that's uh, that the Twitter line, uh, Twitter timeline makes him out to be, or do you think that Prezerich pulls off the upset here? Uh, can I say neither? Uh, I don't know <laughs> if I think Shavkat is. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I think Shavkat's just like bona fide for sure top 15 guy or top 10 guy and i know some people think he's a title contender i think based on what we've seen uh it's a little aggressive i would say but look he's he's 13 and 0 uh had a decent win in his debut against alex Oliveira. i mean it wasn't a spot where he was really tested in the facets of the game that i have some doubts about you know regarding cardio uh being his back that sort of thing but look he's 26 years old he's a good athlete he clearly has talent i mean undefeated guy uh sometimes you know the uc puts some hype trains behind guys that i think don't necessarily deserve it and i'm not saying whether or not this guy deserves it uh he's fighting as a kazakhstan like they clearly want to promote him uh i, I think he's decent i think he's good i think he has a high ceiling in the long term uh, in terms of this fight, you know, Prezeris, I don't ever like to put too much stock into one performance. You know, in other sports, when you're betting, you look at a massive sample size. Baseball is 162 games. Basketball is 82. MMA, MMA we don't have that many fights, let alone like minutes of performances from one guy. Uh, so I don't like to ever put too much stock into one performance. But I got to say, like, Prezeris is last time out was two years ago it was uh prior to a usada suspension that he's now coming off of and against ismail nardiev it was it was competitive in the grappling realm and that has kind of been the tool that preserves has always used uh it's the same overhand into a takedown he's used it forever and now the guy he's 39 uh aging brazilian we know that you know historically those type of fighters do not have great cardio uh in the tank and it's just hard for me to back a guy like if he's competitive in the grappling with ismail uh nardiev who has since been 
cut from the UFC, mostly due to the fact that he can't really grapple and then was finished on the regional scene after that. You know, I'm not trying to uh, say anything bad about the Austrian wonder boy. Like he's 24 years old. He has some upside long-term potentially as well. Uh, it's just, it's hard for me to back Rosaris, uh, at, even at this big plus number coming off the layoff, coming off of how he looked his last time out. So I'm not laying minus 300 with Shavkat. I don't think he's necessarily the next big thing, uh, but hopefully, you know, I hope he gets an early first round finish. I can fade him his next time out against a more formidable opponent. Uh, you know, prime Prezeris, I think gives him a pretty good uh, shot here. I think it's a close competitive fight, but it's just hard to trust a 39 year old coming off of a USADA suspension. So uh, yeah, I think Shavkat gets it done probably inside the distance makes for a strong play on DraftKings, all that sort of stuff, but it's not a spot where I'm laying minus 300 for sure. Not just 39 years old, one month shy of actually turning 40 years old in July as well. Uh, John, I was actually very intrigued, and I thought I, I did circle Michelle Prezeris' name in terms of guys that I was really looking forward to seeing on the scales this morning, especially concerning the USADA violation, close to 40 years old. Let's see what the fire hydrant looks like on the scales this morning. And to be honest, it looked like normal Michelle Prezeris. Uh, how do you think he fares in this matchup against this hot prospect, Shavkat Rakhmanov? Yeah, so it does seem like better to love and Shavkat this week. And I think people are, are jumping the gun a little bit too early. And I understand all the concerns, the red flags about Prezeris, the long layoff, the USADA, the loss. But before that, I mean, the guy was on a very hefty win streak. I mean, four years, eight fights or something like that. He is a career lightweight, so he is kind of outmatched in size. And that was evident by the weigh-ins here. Uh, but doing tape on Shavkat before the Oliver fight, I had a lot of questions. Uh, I believe he was dropped on the regionals. He was taken down. He was stuck on bottom. And I just had some questions. I actually bet Oliveira there, and I don't think a lot of those questions were answered. I mean, that was kind of a quick finish, but Oliveira has been looking worse and worse, and it's possible that Oliveira is more shot than Michel Prezeris is. So I'm not quite ready to uh, write Michel Prezeris off. I think he, if he's got anything left in the tank and he doesn't get knocked out in the first few minutes of this fight, I think he's going to make the fight competitive. I think his offensive grappling could get takedowns here. Shavkat doesn't look good off of his back. So I think the value is on Prezeris at this, at this point. And, you know, I understand the early betters coming in on Shavkat, the young athletic guy with all the athletic, uh, all the size advantages here. But but skill wise, I just don't think he's proven enough to be minus 300 over Prezeris here. So I'm cheering for the old, the old good dog Prezeris here. I like guys like him. I like Trinaldo, these old Brazilian guys. So I'm hoping he can put on a veteran performance and uh, not quite believe in the Shavkat um, type. Yeah, but I still got to pick Shavkat. I mean, I think I think I got. I, I think I see him knocking him out, sadly. I mean, I think in the first round, he's just going to come out of him aggressive. That big knee that he landed on Oliveira, some big athletic strike is going to probably put away Prezera, sadly. But I'm really hoping that he survives that and makes it interesting in the later rounds. I definitely side with John's affinity for 40-year-old Brazilians, but it's definitely been <laughs> been, uh, been messing me up the last couple of months with Jack Ray Souza and obviously uh, most recently Francisco Trinado. Hopefully Prezeris can actually pull through. Hey, Anderson Silva, we got we got momentum with Anderson Silva. Yeah, he's there like we go. 46, <laughs> 46, and he's still looking sharp. I love it. I love it. Weezy, what's your, what's your take on this matchup? Uh, I know there's not a lot of data, obviously, on Shavkat, considering that he's only had one UFC fight. But how do you fare, uh, How do you think that he'll fare here against 40-year-old Mr. Michel Prezeris? Yeah, you know, I mean, we we briefly touched on all the red flags here. Prezeris, 39, Rachmanov, 26, so 13 years younger. Prezeris, 5'6", Rachmanov, 6'1". It looked more like 5'2 against 6'5". <laughs> Did you see that face-off today? Oh, they looked favorite. like they were two or three weight classes different. 
and and I know Preserves is built like a fire hydrant, and you know if you, if that guy gets on top of you, you're not getting him off of you. He's like a brick. Um, but you know, so we don't have much data on Rachmaninoff. But here's a couple of little cheeky little things I found in the data that. All right, so we we've already know all the reasons why people love Rachmaninoff. He's minus three hundred. All the money's coming in on him. Let's go the other way and start to look at the other side of the fight here. Shavkat in his only fight in the UFC had fifteen percent control time, but he gave up forty five percent. Oliveira stuck him against the cage and held him there. Um, this was a four point six seven minute fight, so we're about two point two minutes of that fight. Rachmanov had his back pressed up against the cage by a skinny Oliveira and was held there and didn't get off the cage until he jumped for that guillotine, which finished, which finished the fight, right? So what I'm seeing is if there's any chance in hell that Prezeris comes out of this fight with a win, he's going to have to try to outgrapple uh, Rachmanov. And here's the numbers that I have for Prezeris. 13 fights. 164 minutes of cage time, and this guy has attempted 122 takedowns. Damn. Now, just think about that for a minute. This guy, he doesn't care about his striking. He lands 2.44 significant strikes per minute, and he absorbs 2.49. This guy's not trying to outbox you. He really isn't trying to knock you out on the feet. He goes for about almost one takedown per minute. <laughs> and, and think about that. This is a guy who's amassed 33% control time in the UFC. So you can't get a takedown when you're on top of somebody. So you look at the 164 minutes that this guy spent in the cage, and you take out the 55 or so minutes that he's been on top, and it's 110 minutes and 122 takedown attempts. So this is very clear. The data tells you if Prezeris has a chance in hell of winning this fight, he's going to have to try to take down Rachmanov early and often, maybe put up, put his back up against the cage like uh, like Oliveira had some success doing. If he does try to take Rachmanov down, he's going to have to watch out for that guillotine. Um, that's going to be a big problem because Rachmanov's guillotine is legit, and we already saw it once against the UFC veteran. So, yeah, a lot of red flags here on Prezeris, a lot of reasons not to like him. But when you're looking at a minus 300 line, you want to be real honest about any possible chance that the uh, opposition has to fuck you out of your money, and Prezeris does actually have a path. I'm on Rachmanov. I bet him way earlier in the week, uh, so I got him at decent odds, but I really didn't bet a lot on him. I think the line's a little wide. I think there are paths to victory here for Rock, uh, for, for Prezeris, but I'm still picking Rachmanov, 100% finish rate. I think he'll. I think Prezeris will gas if he doesn't have success with the takedowns early. Rachmanov should finish him, but I'm not betting him at this line. Yeah, all week I've I, I week in a week out. This normally happens to me where I have people just flooding my DMs and just hitting me up on Twitter or Instagram, whatever it is, saying this guy should be your lock of the night play. And for this week, it's Shavkat Rachmanov. People are like, Shavkat Rachmanov should be your lock of the night play. And I'm like, hold your horses, right? There's there's a couple of times over the past couple of weeks where I'm just like, I don't agree. You know, Ludovic Klein against Mike Trezano. Everybody's like, pick Ludovic Klein. Uh, Claudio Poilis against uh, fucking Jordan Levitt. Pick Jordan Levitt. You know what I mean? Like, th there's certain spots where you just got to step back a little bit and look at it as a whole. And Prezeris, like John was saying, probably the sneakiest eight-fight winning streak inside of the UFC before getting it snapped by uh, Ishmael Nardia back in 2019. And obviously, yeah, the narratives of the 39-year-old, 40-year-old, you know, just pop for USADA, all of that doesn't really help the case for Prezeris. But the guy is still a tell 
himself out. Never been finished in three of his losses. Uh, still can come forward. What neck is fucking Rachmanov going to latch onto? There is no neck. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think Rachmanov is going to have to go out there and find a find a limb of some sort. And even that, I think uh, freaking Perseris might even be able to curl him while he's getting armbarred because I think the guy is just so jacked and so strong. The the issue I have here in terms of Perseris is his gas tank, though. Like, he does seem to really fall off later in fights. It seems like Rachmanov has that propensity to find the finish uh, given all 13 of his wins coming via finish. But what does his cardio look like when he gets pushed up against the gauge for 12 minutes or for 10 minutes or whatever it may be, right? So there's so many question marks as to why I would not be taking the minus 300 on Rachmanov here. I think he wins, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I actually think he wins by decision here. I think that Brazier's is very tough to put away. We see it time and time again when guys come into the UFC and they have, you know, finishes galore on their record, but they're fighting regional bums. And then they come to the UFC and then their 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 finishes don't happen anymore. And I think it's just a matter of time until Shavkat finds that guy that's tough to put away, like Prezeris. And he's just going to have to try to win this fight either by uh, pointing him from the outside or, you know, maybe landing a takedown or two of his own and just controlling this fight from on top. Because I do think Prezeris definitely has some concerning gas tank issues that Shavkat can take advantage of. But I need to see Shavkat push in his own right and still come back from adversity and, and pull the victory off. So it's a no bet for me in the minus 300 range. I think he wins. But I think the way that I'm going to be attacking this, even just as a D-Gen sprinkle here, is going to be Shavkat to win by decision, which is currently sitting at plus 255. I don't mind that spot there. I'll take a little bit of a sprinkle there because I think that's the best way to win this fight. Even on the flip side here, though, if you have any hope for Prezeris, Prezeris by decision at plus 440 is not too bad either because I do think he has a shot to actually pull it off himself. Uh, and last thing, last thing I'll say about this matchup, even the fight to go to decision, right? Plus 125. I think that's a, a pretty solid line considering the way that Prezeris lulls his opponents into these types of fights. And given that Shavkat hasn't really fought somebody to this level, I, I, I forgot who it was. It was Jonah or John that said that they actually believe that uh, Cowboy is a little bit more shot than Prezeris at this point in time. And I might actually have to agree with that, but we'll see what Prezeris actually looks like tomorrow afternoon before we ride on home about it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, we got, uh, sorry, Jonah, I got you, right? You already had your, yeah, you yeah, started you this one me. off. Yeah. Yes, All right. Sir. Next up, we got uh, the prelim headliner. We got Danilo Marquez, my arch nemesis inside the UFC for some reason, <laughs> going up against Kennedy and Zechuku. In terms of odds, we got uh, minus 135 on Zechuku and plus 115 on Danilo Marquez. John, I'm actually going to let you kick this one off. How are you feeling about this matchup? Marks is honestly the only underdog I'm really liking this week with like actual with actual confidence because I, I think he should be the slight favorite here. I just think his grappling path is a lot more consistent uh, than and that you're going to be outstriking him because Marks on the feet isn't a great striker, but he, he's not bad. I don't think he's going to be like at risk to get knocked out at any time. It's not like Kennedy's a huge hitter, but. Marks, if he can get the fight to the floor, I mean, he does that pretty consistently. He shot a takedown about like 10 seconds into the Mike Rodriguez fight. He shot multiple takedowns. Rodriguez kept, kept getting back up, and he kept dragging him back down. So I think his grappling cardio is good, and I think he's going to shoot consistent takedowns on Nzechiku, and I don't think Kennedy quite has the takedown defense uh, to stop them. And I got to give Kennedy some credit for his last fight against Oldberg. I mean, the guy kind of had a bad reputation going into that fight. 
and had a tough fight, looked pretty durable, honestly, and just kept coming forward and throwing punches and finally got that comeback victory. But it just doesn't really apply that much to this matchup. You really got to look at the Dargo Stosic fight, the Paul Craig fight, and I think he struggled enough with the takedowns there and the grappling there to make marks the side here. So I'm probably going to be locking in some action uh, in the next 12 hours. I'm looking to do like 1.5, maybe even two units on marks at plus money. So I like him a lot here. I like it. I like it. That's definitely one of the contrarian takes I've been seeing all week, but you have some weight to it. I, I can't uh, disagree with that. Uh, Weezy, how are you seeing this matchup play between these light heavyweights? I'm on Kennedy here, but, uh, you know, everything that John just said is actually very on point. Um, he's right about Marquez. See, what I like about Marquez is, is that the guy's a grappler, right? And he doesn't fuck around like he's a striker. You know, there's nothing that pisses me off more. Like, we're going to talk about Ovin St. Prue shortly. You know, and, with, you know, when St. Prue was fighting Jamal Hill, you'd think if the guy had a fucking brain cell in his head, he'd try to take this guy down. But no, not one take, not one takedown attempt in that entire fight. And then what happens? He gets starched, wakes up looking at the lights, wondering what happened. And Marquez is not that kind of guy. Marquez is a guy who shoots takedowns in the first 30 seconds of all of his fights against strikers. He doesn't pretend that he's a striker. He's a grappler first, and he acts like it. And then I got the numbers to prove it here. Two fights, he's got 36.8% control time, and he's yielded 30% control time. That means over two-thirds of Marquez's fights are taking place either on the cage or with somebody's back against the canvas. That's where Marquez is going to be at his best in this fight. But when we look at Kennedy, I see a lot of the things in Kennedy's numbers that you want to see when they're going to be fighting against a grappler like Marquez. So Kennedy, now while Marquez has attempted 23 takedown attempts in two fights, exactly what you want to see out of any grappler where their path to victory is grappling, Kennedy and Zachchuku has faced 33 takedown attempts in five fights, and only seven of them have been completed, which means he's successfully defended 26 out of 33 takedowns for a 78.79% takedown defense. Um, and not only that, He's been taken down seven times in the UFC, but he's only been controlled 3.15% of his uh, UFC career. That means that he's being controlled when he is taken down less than 30 seconds per takedown. So even when he does get taken down, he gets right back up. Another thing that I like about Kennedy is that ridiculous conditioning that he has. It's flat out off the charts for a 205er for a guy of his size this guy's gas tank is never ending. He can continue to put a pace on you. And what I'm worried about here from Marquez is he's going to have to pressure and he's going to have to constantly spam takedowns in order to be comfortable in this fight. But that's exhausting. And he's going to get tired before Ncheku does. So I see Ncheku weathering the storm for the first couple of rounds here, getting a late finish by knockout. I am going to bet the third round Kennedy prop. I also have Kennedy at minus 104, I believe, just one unit. I'm not going all in on it, but, uh, you know, I think this is a, an extremely interesting stylistic matchup. It's your classic striker versus grappler. The last thing I want to say about Kennedy, 83-inch reach, and he's a southpaw. So whenever this fight is standing, I think Marquez is just going to have all kinds of problems. If Kennedy's conditioning holds up, if his takedown defense holds up, and when he does get taken down, if he gets up quickly, I think he's going to have an easy win here. But Marquez isn't going to make it easy for him because Marquez knows who he is. He, his coach is Damian Maya. You have no better grappling coach to have in the world. So this is a classic stylistic matchup. It just depends on how you think Kennedy is going to deal with the takedown attempts. 
I think he'll come out the other side winning this fight, but it's going to be a great one. It's actually the one I'm looking forward to second most on the card. Interesting, interesting. I, I I do for some reason just have this hatred for Marquez. I don't think that he's uh much of a UFC level competent uh, fighter. You know what I mean? I, I think he's lucky in the fact that he's at the light heavyweight division, which is kind of shallow at this point in time. But he is getting wins. He's pulling off a big win as last fight against Mike Rodriguez, who just did not have the willingness to go out there and throw any punches. It just seemed like he was too scared about the takedowns that were going to be coming back his way. And uh, just just off of Marquez, uh, you know, shooting takedowns nice and early like he did in that fight, it just instilled that fear and Mike Rodriguez and he was just too gun shy and just couldn't get anything off whereas in Zetsuko here I think he's going to actually let it go a little bit more he might get taken down like Weezy was saying but he does do a really good job in terms of getting back to his feet I think that Zetsuko will continue to win fights just based off of his power athleticism and his durability uh until he starts fighting guys that are technically much much better than him um Great showing in his Carlos Allberg fight. Obviously, took a shit kicking first, and then eventually came back and and won it. I think somebody even in the uh, comment section was talking about the Homer Simpson style. That's exactly what he pretty much did in that fight. Uh, but now here against Marquez, I think that Marquez is not going to be able to handle the striking of Kennedy. Now, albeit he's not the most technical striker, don't get me wrong, but I think he has decent enough power to at least make Danilo Marquez fold in this situation. You guys, if you guys have been watching the show for a while, you guys know I have a little bit of a hard on for Fortis MMA guys because I truly do like uh, Saif Sayuda. I think he's a, a very good coach and he knows how to instill, you know, the 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 motivation into his fighters to actually get the wins here. And I think that this is a great spot for him to go out there and beat a one dimensional guy like Danilo Marquez, who is known primarily as Shogun, who was jujitsu coach. So let's just leave that as what it is because we know what Shogun's been doing in the jujitsu room uh, since he's taken uh, taken that steed. But I will go with uh, Kennedy here. I think he actually gets it done early. I think he puts the pain on him uh, nice and early here. I think he gets it done in round one. But uh, he does definitely have the cardio advantage to lean on here. And I think that uh, Marquez, although a black belt, I don't think he'll find a submission in this spot as he won't be able to really settle on top of Kennedy, who's going to continuously be moving, bucking his hips, trying to get back to his feet. And then once he gets back to his feet that gas tank of Marquez is going to start to deplete and deplete, and that striking is going to look a lot more lopsided as Kennedy and Zetsuko continues to build confidence. Again, I wish there wasn't as much rawness and greenness in Kennedy's game still. Otherwise, I'd probably be going pretty heavy on him in this spot, but I'm just passing it all in all. Uh, I still do expect him to win this fight uh, and, and win it pretty early here in round one. Jonah, how are you feeling about uh, Marquez and Kennedy, and do you think that Marquez can go 3-0 and in the UFC? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think I'm happy uh, to play mediator here a little bit. You know, John and Weezy obviously are on opposite sides here. Locke, I know you said you're passing it. Uh, I, this is a pass for me at the current moment. I honestly do think there may be some value in Marquez as an underdog, but I'm kind of having trouble letting go of my priors, meaning like prior to him getting in the UFC, you know, I thought Danilo Marquez was very bad. And I'm not ready so to bad. take... I am not ready to take the L on him quite yet. Uh, you know, I'm not going to admit I was wrong. I'm too stubborn to do that at this point. But I mean, the guy clearly has a game plan and has been able to execute it twice. You know, he will go for that single leg. If he doesn't get it, cage push will go to a clinch body lock position, tries to get a trip. He knows what he's good at. You know, he doesn't fuck around. He goes to the grappling and I respect that. I am all for guys, you know, optimizing their path to victory. Uh, that is what a good smart fighter does. A fighter like Marquez who may not be super physically talented, uh, but he's made it work, right? He's 2-0 inside the UFC. I didn't ever think I would be saying that. He's fought Cadiz Ibrahimov. Mike Rodriguez, is the strength of schedule great? Absolutely not. But I didn't think he was going to go 2-0 there and he did. So I'll give props to him in that regard. Uh, the one thing I'll say about Kennedy is like, 
he has struggled a little bit in the grappling, but I think if you honestly look closely at the two situations where he was really pushed uh, hard in the grappling realm, first of all, against Paul Craig, Craig went one of 17 on takedowns in that fight. And Kennedy actually had four minutes of control time. Now you have to remember that the way control time works in terms of how the UFC measures it now, which actually drives me insane. This is a rant uh, for another day is if someone is like pulling guard, or if you're in a position where anytime you're on bottom, it counts as someone else controlling you. And that might make sense for Paul Craig, but there are also times like if you have a triangle from bottom and you are controlling your opponent, I think who was it a few weeks ago, maybe like Andrew Lee uh, was controlling uh, Shevchenko in that yeah. triangle off her back. That counted as control time for Shevchenko, which just drives me nuts. So weird. Uh, that's a, that's a non sequitur, uh, but it just kind of goes to show, like, I don't think Kennedy really out grappled Craig. I mean, obviously he got tapped out and he lost the fight via submission. Uh, I just think that's a little misleading. What I think is more encouraging for Kennedy is the Stosich fight where he got taken down four times. Now we know Darko is just kind of spams takedowns and volume has never had great top control, but it's encouraging that Kennedy was only on his back for two minutes of that fight. Uh, so I, I think that his, you know, he's, it's not like he's a complete black hole in the grappling realm. That being said, I don't think he's a great striker either. You know, we've mentioned on this show a few times, like the Ulberg performance was impressive. The come from behind victory. I mean, the guy ate 80 significant strikes in the first round. Like, I don't think he's all that as a striker. So it's hard for me to lay chalk on Kennedy where despite the fact that I don't think he's a black hole on the ground, I think he's a pretty, he's at a grappling disadvantage, I would say against the guy who's going to pursue that route. Uh, and in the striking realm, I don't think it's a blowout either. That being said, uh, I'm, I'm just too stubborn uh, to take the value or what I perceive as value here on Marquez uh, plus 130 plus 140. Maybe I'd be interested, uh, but I don't think it's going to get there. So I'm just happy to pass here. Uh, neither of these guys are, uh, I'm looking to back them in the future. I don't think, uh, but we'll see. I'm kind of interested to see how it goes down because I do think that there's kind of that striker versus grappler dynamic. But I also think that it's not as big a discrepancy in either realm as most people think going into the fight. So uh, it's an interesting matchup. I'm looking forward to it, but uh, ultimately a pass. Uh, sorry, did you actually give a prediction though? Uh, if you're gonna make me, you got, you got, you got it, you got it. That's what the people are here for, brother. All right, I'll go. I'll, I'll go with Danilo, but I'll, I'll say for like 51, percent 52, <laughs> just just, <laughs> just as the cop out right there. But yeah, I, I do think that Danilo just has he's more reliable to go to the things that will win him yeah. the fight. So uh, that's my pick. Not something I feel super confident in. All right, let's move on to the main card here. And right before I do, I always want to remind you guys, hit that like, hit that subscribe if you guys haven't already. And also, I have the Twitter links of both all three of these guys in the description below. So you guys don't even have to go to Twitter and search their names. Just go to the description below, click the link, and hit that follow because, trust me, they deserve it. They are sharp dudes as they've already showcased for you uh, halfway through the card here. All right, let's get to the main card now. Curtain Jerker, we got Hanato Waikano going up against Jay Herbert right after Dennis Goldsoff just pulls off a victory over uh, Mr. Mr. Brandon Sales, a good win for him there. Uh, but getting back to the card here, like I said, Hanato Moicano, Jay Herbert, and I believe we're going to be kicking things off here with my guy, Uncle Wheezy. Wheezy, how are you feeling about these uh, oh, lightweights now, actually? Um, and, and how do you see this one going down? Moicano, former featherweight. This will be his third fight at lightweight. He was evidently killing himself to make featherweight. Uh, and then we got Herbert coming in with his second uh, fight in the UFC. His first one, he got knocked out by Francisco Trinaldo, but also put Trinaldo on his ass with a great straight right at the beginning of the second round there. Yeah. So um, when I analyzed this fight on my channel, you know, what I, I, I'm thinking of this, even though Moicano loves to show his striking, I, I'm looking at this as a striker versus grappler matchup. Um, you know, Moicano, 
is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and I think he'll be most comfortable on the ground here. He's like a world champion, too, so the guy's not just, you know, didn't get a black belt in a dojo. This guy finishes fights via submission quite often. One of the things that I've seen out of Herbert that I don't like at all is piss-poor takedown defense. Pre-UFC and in the UFC, he uh, yielded two out of three takedown attempts to uh, Francisco Trinaldo, so that's given him a 33% takedown defense in the UFC. If I think if Moicano gets him down once, he's gonna he's gonna wrap up that neck and it's gonna be over with. Herbert's got great power, great boxing. I love I love how how straight his right comes down the pipe. There's no wasted action there. He throws with a ton of power. But you know the thing is, I don't think Moicano is gonna stand on the feet with this guy. One of the things that I broke down with the Moicano uh, situation was. Moicano's at 10 fights in the UFC, but he's only had 13 takedown attempts, right? So you'd like to see, you know, if you're going to be betting on Moicano and thinking this guy needs a, a takedown and he needs a submission to comfortably win this fight so that Herbert isn't on the feet too long where he can actually test Moicano's chin, which has been tested a lot and it hasn't held up well. Um, the thing I'm seeing here, though, is even though he only attempted 13 takedowns, he got seven of them. So when he goes for them, he does get them. Also, if you look at Moicano's experience in the UFC, you will see uh, guys that have some of the best takedown defense at 145 and 155 that he was going against. And I'll, and I'll go through it real quick for you guys here because I think it's real important. Rafael Fasayev has 100% takedown, takedown defense. Um, we've got... Uh, Chan Sung Jung, 78% takedown defense. Jose Aldo, 91% takedown defense. Calvin Cater, above 70% takedown defense. Jeremy Stevens, 66. Zubaira Tukugov, 100% takedown defense. So he's fought a lot of guys where he hasn't been able to use his wrestling game because they have excellent takedown defense. He's not going to have that problem with Herbert. And frankly, I think he knows. He's he's lost three out of his four uh Three out of his four losses in the UFC have come by knockout. So he's painfully aware that if he stays standing, that he could get chin-checked again and lose. However, if he just tries to take down this guy, he's going to get it probably the first time, and he'll probably wrap up that neck. I'm calling Moicano by first-round submission, rear naked choke. I even bet first-round submission at plus 500 for Moicano on FanDuel. Um, I think we're going to see – Black belt, jiu-jitsu, Hanato Moicano. And I think this fight's going to look an awful lot like the fight against Hadzovic, another guy with piss-poor takedown defense. And what happened in that fight? Moicano shot a takedown in the first 10 seconds, and he finished it in 44. I see this fight taking place exactly the same way. Moicano's probably my safest pick of the night. I'm all over him here. Can I can I lay it out any better than my guy Uncle Weezy just did? Because I pretty much am on the same side here. But the one caveat I will say though, I I I have a slight concern regarding the durability of Moicano. So I'd much rather take that under two and a half, which I still see dangling around minus one seventy ish on most spots. Go ahead, Weezy. By the way, I neglected to mention. I think this fight is definitely going to end under two and a half rounds because if Herbert touches that shin, I think Moicano's going down.
Yeah, exactly. That That's my main question mark here about Moy Connor. I think either way, whoever wins here, it's going to be under two and a half rounds. And I'll say this, this was my second in the running for possible lock of the night plays for me, as I do believe that both guys have durability issues. And also, like Uncle Weezy laid out, the, the takedown defense on Jay Herbert is just so bad that I think that Moy Connor will be able to replicate that Demir Hadzovic performance of his. Uh, yeah, I, I really like Moy Connor in the spot to, to, to nail that sub. It, it seems to be pretty straightforward and easy here. But the Jay Herbert striking looks like it could definitely uh, challenge Boy Connor and definitely land on the chin of his. Like uh, also, like Weezy was saying, at uh, three out of the last four fights for Boy Connor, he gets dusted. But big names, right? J Jose Aldo, Korean Zombie, Rafael Fazayev, who's obviously on his way to the top now. But I really do think that we'll see a lot of uh, success here from Boy Connor in terms of landing the takedown. And the last thing I'll say uh, before I drop it on over to Jonah here: uh, prize picks. Another prize pick tip for you guys here. Uh, they actually set the takedowns for Mokano at one and a half. Those cheeky bastards. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, like, because I, I could see an instance where, you know, he lands a takedown. Maybe Herbert finds his way back to his feet, and that's where you get the second takedown. But it could also just be one takedown. That, that's all he needs to wrap up the submission. So uh, I'm staying away from that prize pick spot there uh, because I thought they were very cheeky by adding that uh, that hook uh, on the one there. But, uh, yeah, I do think Mokano wins. I think he drags this fight down with relative ease. Um I found it interesting that he was actually the much shorter, well, not the much shorter guy here, but shorter guy because he's usually the one tower overing the featherweights when he was down at 145. But now up here at 155, he, he doesn't have that anymore. But Jay Herbert is definitely one of those guys on the taller end of the 155 pound division. But I don't think it's going to matter for him here. I think Moicano will land that takedown, find that submission. Rear naked choke is probably the best way to go about it. I think he'll eventually find that back and sink that shit in. So I'm going Moicano. Moy Connor uh, uh, early here. And lastly, uh, the under two and a half. Got a bang on that. I, I I just don't see this going over 12 and a half minutes. I know Jonah over there smirking and, and giggling. I know he's all over that line as well. And if I'm not mistaken, I saw a video that you and uh, John Kelly dropped on the Twitter sphere saying that you got some pretty good CLV on that. So I think you guys got a pretty good uh, line on that. So I'll actually whip it on over to you. But final prediction for me, uh, Moy Connor first round submission. Jonah hit him. Cool. Uh, yeah, there was a video out there of John Flex and a CLV. Uh, John's my co-host was obviously on the show here with Locke last week. Uh, he got minus 166. You know, I came on the show and I was thinking I have to find a way to like get some jabs back at John because he was on the show last week making fun of me, all that kind of stuff. But the first thing I say about the guy is I have to praise him for making a good play. So that hurts me inside a little <laughs> bit, but I'm also, <laughs> I'm also on the under. I played under two and a half, uh, minus 140. Uh, I just think it's a great spot, you know, and I think actually Wheezy and Locke, you guys both touched on something. Uh, Wheezy, you mentioned like Marcano has only shot, what, 13 takedowns, landed seven of them. Locke, uh, you were talking about how it was an insta-tap against Hadzovic. I think part of the reason why he hasn't landed that many takedowns is because he is he's a decent wrestler above average, I would say, especially for a guy who's primarily a jiu-jitsu player. But he's a very good passer once the fight hits the ground. He has three wins via submission in the UFC. They've come on a combined three takedowns across the whole fight and like a minute and 50 seconds of control time. That means when he gets someone down, he is passing into a dominant position or a position where he's able to lock up some sort of submission. And against Jai Herbert, I, I think that's going to be decently easy. You know, you go back and watch Jai Herbert and Cage Warriors. I always forget uh, I, the regional fights always mesh together in my head when I go back and I've watched someone's regional tape. I think it was a Steve O'Keefe fight, which Herbert won by KO in the first round. I think he gives his back standing early in the fight and then gets mounted, uh, you know, 
all, all before he wins via knockout. And this is a guy who like his age isn't listed anywhere. He's what, like seven and seven in cage warriors. This is not a Hanato Moicano level grappler. Uh, and I think Moicano goes in there and I think the first takedown is pretty much an insta tap. I think he'll get to a dominant wow. position. That submission in round one line that was talked about plus 500 on FanDuel. Uh, I hadn't looked to that myself because I just played the under. Uh, I think that's decent in terms of the striking there Moicano's durability I don't have a super you know strong take on it like he basically gets countered with the same shot over and over again and his defense is pretty poor so I don't know if it's an issue where he's chinny or he just has poor defense but it might not matter if he isn't going to change it you know what I mean so he's been cracked at this point three times he continues to make the same mistakes Herbert I think is live to win a knockout but I honestly would favor Moicano in the striking his striking metrics are very strong uh, I think he's kind of run into some killers you mentioned the guys he's lost to Jai Herbert is an explosive striker he's got some decent physical tools uh, a nice one too I don't think he's a level of striker like Korean Zombie uh, Fiziev those guys that are going out there and sparking Moicano so uh, I'll take Moicano pretty much however he wants and uh, for my sake for my heart rate during the fight. Uh, I hope it's just first round submission, shoots the early takedown, gets to a good position, locks up the submission. So uh, I, I guess this might be a consensus play. Maybe John will ruin it at the end, but uh, it sounds like all three of us uh, like Moicano to win via submission in the first round. All right, John. All right, John, bring this one home for us. You like the under here or are you going to go with the over? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing here. I got, I got Moicano okay. inside the distance. Uh, that's, it was at plus 125 on FanDuel still. And, or Herbert needs a knockout to win. He's not winning minutes here with the striking. And I also agree with what Jonas said is it's not so much as a durability issue. It's just his defensive reads aren't really there. And it's against elite level strikers and it's typically pretty early on in the fight too. So, I mean, maybe Herbert catches him early on here and, and pulls off the upset, but I don't see it. I think Moicano outstrikes him on the feet. He's going to get that easy takedown, and I think he's going to tap him out in round one. So we're all on the same page here. No need to spend too much time. I got one unit on uh, Moicano inside the distance. All right. I love it. I love it. I love it when it's a consensus play, especially when we got guys from all different viewpoints, for sure. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Second fight on the main card, we got Nicholas Dalby going up against Tim Means, and I believe I'm going to be kicking this one off uh, for you guys. I, I like Tim Means here. I think that this is a good spot for him to go out there and light up uh, Nicholas Dalby like a Christmas tree. The only concern that I have is, like, I, I want to see... Um, I want to see, uh, what's his face? Uh, sorry, Tim Means go out there. I just saw, sorry, Sydney Outlaw beat Miles Dre by technical submission. Did anybody actually see what the technical submission was? There was only 16 seconds left in the fight as well. Okay. I yeah, I guess nobody not saw me. it. Either. I'm, I'm watching, I'm <laughs> You're watching PFL. basketball. No, I'm not, I'm not watching anything. I got my full attention on the show. I'm just, <laughs> I wasn't watching right PFL. There. <laughs> Professional right there. Uh, all right. Yeah, what, what I was saying, uh, uh, I want to see Tim Means actually distance himself from the durability issues that we've seen from in his last couple fights, right? Uh, uh, what's his face? Daniel Rodriguez gets a club and sub on him before they obviously get knocked out. Um, you know, th th there just are some concerns for me. Now, I see a lot of people backing up, you know, uh, Tim means his durability issues with the Mike Perry fight, but I think that's unfair to do. You, know I mean, like Mike Perry at this point in time, we know he's not the Mike Perry that you know blast onto the UFC scene by destroying and killing Kyle Reyes's uh, UFC career. I think that's Alex Reyes. I believe it was Alex Reyes that he elbowed and, and destroyed there. But 
uh, all Mike Perry had in that fight was that first takedown. And after Tim Means was able to get back to his feet, he seemed completely deflated. Obviously, you guys remember that was the, the fight that he missed the weight by pretty bad uh, by a pretty bad margin. I think it was five or six pounds that he missed weight that night. But it seemed like there was like he was completely deflated. No power on his shots, was telegraphing everything. Tim Means could see everything that was coming his way and just literally jabbed and, and, and jabbed his face off for the majority of 15 minutes and won that fight. I think he'll have the same success here against Nicholas Dalby, but I think Dalby will have a little bit more resistance in regards to... Uh, uh, you know, being more explosive and and possibly finding that that chin of Timmy's, which I still have question marks about. You know, if I could fully lay to rest those question marks regarding his durability, I'd be all over Timmy's in the spot. I do have a little sprinkle on him just on track and unofficially myself, just because I do think that he should win this fight. And I think he wins it by a decision because he's just going to go out there, stay disciplined, not fall over his punches or anything like that. Just stay on the outside. Let Nicholas Dalby just walk in to, uh, to those jobs, walk into those counters. And again, I just don't think that Nicholas Dalby is that good. I think the best way Dalby or best path to victory for Dalby here is to implement his grappling. Try to take Tim Means down. Try to be the imposing figure here. Try to just muscle him and just out grapple him that way. But Tim Means has decent get-ups from, from what I recall. He can get back to his feet. His jiu-jitsu is not that half bad. Uh, and I just don't think that Dalby is uh, that good to deal with a guy like Tim Means who just has such a massive striking advantage, in my opinion. So I'm going Tim Means. I'm actually going to be going with Tim Means via decision as well because I think there's some decent value there. Excuse me, uh, Tim Means, my decision is currently at plus 185. Yeah, I, I like that spot for him to go out there and just touch up Nicholas Dalby over 15 minutes. Uh, Jonah, are you giving a little bit more credence to Dalby in the spot, or do you think that this is a great spot for Means to go out there and show out? Uh, I think it's a good spot for Means. I bet him minus 130. It's It was my only money line play for the week. I added one that we'll talk about a little bit later on in the show uh, in the main event. I just think Means is significantly better than Dalby everywhere. You know, I think historically a lot of people, myself included, have kind of wrote off Dalby because we thought he didn't deserve the nod against Daniel Rodriguez. And to be clear, I still think that. Uh, but he has a habit of just kind of making fights close. And I think at some point we have to accept that that may be predictive to some extent. Like he's a guy, I don't want to say he tries hard because it's a fucking cage fight. Everyone tries hard, but he's someone who goes out there and he's very like enthusiastic about trying to get his game going. And he plays that dance around game on the outside with the kicks decently well. And then he'll cage push, go for the takedowns. Uh, he has had some fortunate decisions go his way. The stand up against Alex Oliveira comes to mind as well. Uh, there's no doubt that he has run hot to some extent to get to the point where he is. Uh, and I just think Tim Means is better than him. I think Means is better cardio. I think he's a much sharper striker. I think the pocket exchanges will not be close here. Uh, look, you might be able to like dance around on the outside against some guys in the UFC and land these leg kicks. I mean, Tim Means is a pressure fighter who will move forward, uh, throws hard, throws straight down the middle, uh, lands a lot of volume too. Over five strikes landed per minute in a massive sample at this point for Tim Means. So uh, is there some concern that he's getting up there in age and has not been, you know, super consistent? Like, I don't know. He's winning the Nico Price fight. Didn't look great. Daniel Rodriguez fight was not really winning. He basically got knocked out twice in that fight. Uh, but yeah. I thought he looked pretty good against Mike Perry. And say what you want about Mike Perry, but it's important to think about the market. I, I bet Tim Means at even money against Mike Perry's last time out. So in hindsight, it is very easy to say Mike Perry just had a kid. He was tweeting about how you know shitty it was to cut weight. But in the moment, the market thought that that was a 50-50 fight. And uh, it clearly wasn't to me. And I think Means is kind of historically underrated. Dalby historically overrated. So I see scenarios where this fight is close, but to me, it feels like Nicholas Dalby, his median win outcome is like a close, sketchy decision. So minus 130 for Tim Means, I'm pretty comfortable laying that number. Uh, I bet him for a unit. I think it was last night. The number's pretty widely available at this point. So uh, yeah, Means is the side for me. 
Yeah, John, I was kind of shocked to see the the line move as drastically as it did after the opener was roughly around minus 200 for Tim Means. It seemed like a lot of love for Nicholas Stalby came in, but now it's starting to settle around that minus 130, minus 140-ish range for Tim Means. Do you agree with the line movement? And then obviously, uh, how do you actually see this fight playing out? I agree with both of what both of you said so far, I disagree with the line movement. Actually, like when I was looking at the card, you know, when the card ends on Saturday night, you look at the next week's card, all the lines means at minus one fifty stu- stood out to me right away. I thought he was value at that, so I'm gonna end up playing him at whatever he's at. You know, before the fight, uh, before the event starts tomorrow, minus one thirty five. I'm fine with that, and yeah, I agree with what everybody said. I just think that means has the more consistent offense, you know, insane, incredible fighter. Uh, I tweeted out not that long ago. He's one of the most underrated action fighters ever. I mean, has the guy ever been in a boring fight? And I mean, his past few fights, even late into his career, he's still producing like really entertaining fights. So, you got to love the dirty bird and I'm riding with him here. I do agree that Dolby's best path to victory is going to be grappling. I mean, I, I did think his kicks looked pretty good against Daniel Rodriguez. I, I did score that fight for Dolby and, uh, you know, had a small bet on him there. So obviously I wasn't going to be looking too hard to score that fight for Rodriguez, but I thought that his kicks were pretty effective from the outside there. He threw hard, hard body kicks and maybe he could have some success with that here, but I think Tim Means is a lot more aggressive at getting into the pocket, landing his hands consistently. And I also think Tim Means is a better kicker than Daniel Rodriguez, too. So I think Means' defensive grappling is good enough to avoid the takedowns, and he's just going to be landing the more consistent strike. So I think Means should be more like minus 170 here, honestly. So I'm looking to lock in uh, 1.5 or either 2 unit bet on Tim Means in the next uh, 12 or 14 hours here. I love it. I love it. Wheezy. Um Earlier on in Tim Means' UFC career, before he had initially gotten cut, it seemed like the easy path to victory was to take him down. You guys, you got guys like Jorge Masvidal landing six takedowns, Danny Castillo landing six takedowns, Neil Magny landing four takedowns. But then later on in his career, especially after his Bilal Muhammad fight, I believe I did the calculations. You might have been have it before me. But uh, I believe opponents after his Bilal Muhammad fight have gone two of 17 on takedowns, uh, takedown attempts. So at least it shows that he's trying to make some progress there so that he can keep the fight in his realm which is that striking realm but uh how do you see this fight playing out and are there any statistics that actually jump off the page to here that leads you to believe that one side is going to win well it's not so much the statistics you know this is more like one of those fights it's like the eye test for me you know uh the biggest problem means is he's 37 years old but Dolby's 36 so we can throw that out you know that we don't have to worry about means his age here and if we look at experience man 45 professional fights for Tim Means compared to 25 for Dolby and then we look at UFC experience man 23 UFC fights for Tim Means only seven for Nicholas Dolby the thing about Dolby is is I mean you all you have to do is go back and watch this guy's career you need to murder this guy to get him out of there and no matter how much the fight is going for you at the beginning Dolby can come back. I mean, he got his ass kicked the first two rounds against Till and then came back and 10 aided them in the third round to make that one a draw. You know, you watch um, one of his Cage Warriors fights, dude. They had to stop the fight in the third round because both guys were bleeding so bad that the canvas was covered with blood. I mean, uh, I, I forget. I think it was Goddard who was the referee. He goes, this is ridiculous. I'm stopping the fight. You know, it, it, the, the whole thing was covered with blood. I mean, like, Means could choke out Dolby, murder him. They could throw a shovel into the ring. He could dig a grave. They could dump Dolby's lifeless corpse in there. And before the referee would raise his hand, you'd see fucking Dolby's hand come out like Friday the 13th, you know, like Jason. Dude, you can't kill this guy. 
The best way I'm going to see to play this fight is if you're on the Dolby side, playing by decision. If you're on the mean side, playing by decision. I don't think either one of these guys is finishing the other one. There's not a whole lot in the stats that I see in terms of somebody having a major advantage anywhere, but the striking numbers, they do favor means. We have seen means get taken down a lot in the past, but like you were mentioning, he hasn't been taken down lately. He's kind of cleared up that hole in his game. And then if you look at Nicholas Dalby, I think this is what I looked at before the show. I think he's one for nine on his last nine takedown attempts in the UFC. So if you're looking for that path to victory for Dalby to win via grappling, it might not be there. So I'm on the mean side. I don't think there's any chance he can finish Dalby, though. So I think if you like means, you might even be able to get more value. Just go means by decision because you need to murder Dalby to get him out of there. And even once he's dead, he might come back from the dead. So, uh, yeah, I'm going Tim Means here. I'm going to pick him by decision. And I think he's a little bit better everywhere. It's just a funny way that Dalby seems to get fights that he didn't quite deserve. It always makes me a little bit nervous when I'm betting against somebody like that. Uh, yeah, go ahead, John. Um, personally, I think the, the threat of a knockout from means is enough to pass on that decision line because, I mean, the dude does really crack. He he dropped Alves. He dropped Steripoli with that head kick. And uh, I think that Dolby was also dropped by Jesse Ronson not that long ago, too. So yeah. I, I think the South with the Southpaw, they're always so bad for <clears throat> Dolby that that – I think that the, the chance of a knockout here is good enough to, that means money line is the way to go instead of that decision prop. But uh, I guess my official pick is going to be means decision with all that being said. <laughs> I definitely I, I see that as well. And big shout out to Liz Carmouche getting a 35-second knockout victory over Kana Watanabe very, very quickly getting her out there, uh, standing TKO up against the cage. We all knew Watanabe had nothing to give in terms of the striking realm in this fight. All right, let's uh, move on to the next fight here. We got uh, the four fights left here. Andre Feely against Daniel Pineda. And I'm glad I'm going last here because I, this is probably the fight that I feel least confident about uh, out side of the uh, Warley Alves and Jeremiah Wells fight. So in terms of odds, we got uh, Mr. Uh, Andre Feely coming in at minus 225, Daniel Pineda plus 185. Uh, Jonah, I'm actually going to let you kick this one off, brother. How are you feeling about this matchup, and do you see any edge in this matchup at all? So I, I do see an edge. I don't know if I see an edge in the money line, which is what you were having trouble with, Locks. I don't know if I could help you out here. Uh, my general breakdown on the fight is – uh, Andre Feely is someone who historically, you know, I feel like I've always been higher on him than the market was, but at the same time, he's out here as minus 225 against Daniel Pineda. And I think that the value probably lies in his opponent. So, you know, it's all funny games to say, oh yeah, I'm high on this guy, but am I really high on him if uh, the market is actually higher on him than I am? So I think that's kind of an interesting dynamic with Feely. Uh, the thing about this fight is Daniel Pineda is very much a finisher. I mean, there's no real way to break down. I don't want to oversimplify things, but there's no way to break down this fight without acknowledging the fact that Pineda has won 27 fights and all 27 are inside the distance. And, you know, there's a couple of ways to look at that, right? Like the first way you could look at it is the guy doesn't have the gas tank or the minute winnings, the minute winning skills to win a decision. Or you could look at it on the other hand and say, this guy's a pretty damn good finisher, you know, 27 finishes. And these aren't against scrubs. You know, he was in the UFC. He had three UFC finishes in his first stint with the company a decade ago at this point, goes to Bellator, spends time in PFL, has finishes there as well. Like Daniel Pineda is a capable finisher, I think at really any level of MMA. The problem lies in his ability to win minutes outside of the first and second round. Uh, and with Andre Feely, 
it's kind of the opposite where I feel like Feely has the skill set to win fights by bigger margins than he does, but he kind of has trouble stepping on the gas. You know, nine of his last 10 fights have gone to decision. Uh, this is a guy who we've really seen grow up inside the UFC. He's been fighting in the UFC for like eight years at this point, and is only 31 years old. Uh, with Feely, you know, I think he's the cleaner striker for sure. Uh, what concerns me about laying a minus 225 price on him is he hasn't looked great off his back. In the Bryce Mitchell fight, I actually bet him in that spot. In hindsight, terrible bet. Bryce Mitchell went out there and thoroughly dominated him. Uh, and Bryce Mitchell is a great uh, grappler in terms of submissions. And I think he's actually pretty good positionally. I think I originally had underrated him positionally, uh, but he really went out there and was able to hold down Andre Feely for large portions of that fight. And it wasn't a blowout by any means, but like, I was I didn't like the signs I saw from Feely on bottom. Sadiq Youssef, he spent time on his back as well, was dropped by Charles Jordan his last time out. Uh, that being said, just Pineda, there's probably some value on plus 190 in my opinion. I just don't love backing fighters who I feel dead if they're seven and a half minutes into the fight. And maybe that's a mental block for me, something that, you know, if you're betting a plus 190, it's already baked into the line. Uh, it's just not a, a spot I love to target. So what I actually did here is I played the under. I played does not go the distance, minus 110. It's another violence bet for me this week. Uh, it just feels like one of those spots where I mentioned the stat, Feely's been to decision nine of his last 10, but Pineda is the definition of a kill or be killed fighter. He will go out there and give it his all to get the finish. And if he doesn't, it's not like he's going out there losing a lot of decisions either. The guy has over 40 pro fights. Yeah, he's lost five decisions, has never won one, but he's been finished nine times in a multi multitude of ways. So uh, I know that Feely has been a little bit less aggressive than I would have liked to seen in the past, but uh, I think Pineda probably puts him in a bad position or two in the first round. Uh, and if he doesn't, he's going to be in big trouble because I think Feely is the much cleaner striker. Uh, so yeah, I, I see a little bit of wrestling upside for Pineda in the first round or two, potential submission. Uh, if Feely doesn't look right off his back, but uh, I, I think it's Feely late, Pineda early. Uh, my official prediction will be Feely KO in round two. I like it. John, uh, hella disrespect on Daniel Pineda and his uh, return to the UFC when he went up against Herbert Burns. I'm sure a couple of us cashed on that crazy line there. That was roughly around plus 220, plus 240. Uh, goes out there, beats Herbert Burns, but doesn't have as good of a, a second uh, stint or second fight in the UFC, obviously getting knocked out by Cub Swanson last time around. What do you think he brings to the table here against Cub Swanson? And do you ultimately think he gets his, raise, his hand raised once again as an underdog? I really agree with what most of what Jonas said. The only thing I really disagree with is the inside the distance. I just think that Philly isn't as much of a finishing threat enough that where the, I think that the fight could go the distance. Uh, I think that Philly will run away with it in rounds two and three. Pineda will compete early. And money line side, it is dogger pass pre-fight, but look to get in on that Andre Philly live bet line because mm -hmm. I think Pineda is going to have a good five to seven minutes and then he's going to start to slow down. Not much of an original opinion here. Uh, I do agree that Philly is kind of underrated by the market. Um, I think the guy's a, a great striker. He also is a really capable wrestler. I mean, he hit those blast double legs on, on, on good fighters, Dennis Bermudez, Andre Feely. I mean, the guy can, can wrestle too. And I think that that that's going to be a pretty good path for him here because Herbert Burns was able to get a good amount of top time in their fight. And I think uh, a guy with good cardio and good wrestling, uh, Feely good should be able to get takedowns if he wants to as well. And also, as Jonas said, for Feely, Pineda might want to look to hit offensive takedowns because, uh, 
Feely hasn't looked so great off of his back. He got stuck on his back versus Sadiq Youssef versus Bryce Mitchell in all three rounds. So if I'm Pineda, I think my best chance is to offensively grapple, but I just don't trust his cardio to do that for more than a round or two. So I'm going to pick Feely 29-28 decision here. I think he drops the first round but comes back to win uh, the next two. Look at that. We got two pretty solid, you know, differentiating opinions there in terms of one guy going with the under and one guy going with the over. Uh, Weezy, how are you feeling about this one? You you siding with John and you think this is going to be a violence one or you think that John is more on the money with this fight going a distance? I'm side with Jonah on this one for this reason. And I think what we're getting here is with the, uh, <laughs> we're getting with the, we're getting a really nice line here because nine out of 10's, uh, Philly's last 10 fights have went to decision, right? But when you've got a kill-or-be-killed fighter like Pineda, that's when you're talking about, that's when you get the value on the fight not going to decision because, like, the bookies will see that, oh, you know, Philly's been going to decision 9 out of 10 times, but this guy, Pineda, he is just, he's fury for those first four to seven minutes, and then after that, and not only that, he's 35 years old, okay? You know, we talk about a guy like Philly who's got 29 pro fights, but he's only 30 years old. And then you see a, an experienced guy like Pineda with 43 professional fights, but he's got five more years on that body of his. He's got 14 more fights, a lot more miles on that body, and a lot more losses, dude. 14 losses compared to eight for Philly. And, you know, Pineda has finished 100% of his wins, you know, so you got to love the violence back there. Uh, Andre Philly. 57% of his wins overall and only 33% of his wins have been finished in the, in the UFC. So, you know, I think the value is on uh, Philly uh, finishing inside the distance or the fight doesn't go to decision simply because, um, you know, nine out of 10 uh, Philly's last 10 fights have went to decision because Pineda is just such a killer be killed fighter. But I see Philly being a much better striker here. He's going to have to stay out of the way of those heavy leg kicks that Pineda throws. But the thing that bothered me uh, in the Pineda performance against uh, Cub Swanson, the striking defense was absolutely awful. Everything that Cub threw hit Pineda. And a lot of guys that were would, wouldn't be as tough as Cub Swanson would have quit from those leg kicks. You could tell he was in bad shape from those leg kicks, and Pineda came damn close to, to making it where the guy couldn't even stand anymore, but he's only got about six or seven minutes of gas. And I see Philly being a much more technical striker here. I see him using that jab and I see him landing it every single time because Pineda's striking defense is not looking good lately. Um, I got to go with Philly, but you know, I agree with both of these guys, you know, that it's either Pineda early or Philly late, you know I mean? This is the kind of fight that we have here. We have a killer-be-killed fighter who comes out to murder people early, and if he doesn't get it done, he's going to gas. And I think that Philly being as tough as he is, being as experienced as he is, and really being a much better distance striker than Pineda, um, I see Philly knocking him out in the third round. Yeah. I'm, uh, go ahead, Jonah. I don't want to beat a dead horse here, and certainly Locke, I will, I'll let you go in a second because I we got a score to settle here. We got 2-1 on Inside the Distance, uh, Wheezy and I against Martian. One thing I just wanted to point out is, you know, we mentioned nine of Feely's last 10 have gone to decision, and I think that is a meaningful statistic because it clearly is baked into the line. But if we look at those fights individually, 
their situations, there's been five knockdowns. You know, I just pulled it up. There's been five knockdowns over those 10 fights. Like there have been finishing opportunities. I feel like it's kind of, he's ran bad to not have finishes in his fights. Whereas a guy like Nick Dalby, if you run his career back a hundred times over, uh, he probably isn't in the same spot he is now because he loses some of those close decisions he won. Uh, I think if you run back Feely's last 10 fights, they end inside the distance more than that one out of 10 times. Uh, and it's one of those things where he gets offensive takedowns and he's not really a submission threat per se, but if he has a gassed guy underneath him, he's going to be capable of winning the fight on top. Whereas in other fights where Feely's gotten on top, it's been more of like a positionally sound minute winning sort of thing as opposed to here. Uh, I really think he has finishing upside wherever the fight goes and as does Pineda, but uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse. I think I made my point clear uh, lock. Take it away, bud. Yeah, look at this guy taking the host uh, duties over here, but I appreciate it. Uh, no, I, I, I see the angle that you're coming from, but what ultimately I come on, uh, or the, the side that I come out on is actually on the John side here. I do think that we see Philly actually go out there and just stick behind that jab, and I truly believe he has one of the better jabs inside the UFC when he's on. Like, when he's on, he has a nice log jab right down the middle. He's able to keep his opponents at distance, and I think that's what he's going to have to do here, especially with the, uh, uh, you know, a bull like uh, Pineda in front of him, who's always going to be coming forward and is pretty much an all offensive guy the, the the whole thing comes down to how much can Pineda uh truly you know take here i think he's going to have some trouble in terms of dealing um with uh you know you know uh sorry Pineda is going to have trouble dealing with guys that are able to have much more success later in fights as i believe that andre feely will have here as well um i'm not going to spend too much time on this i do believe feely wins this fight i'm going to take him by decision i think he withstands whatever uh Pineda actually put, brings to him early in this fight and then takes over in the second and third rounds i think 29 28 is right on the money as john had said all right let's move on to the next fight here probably the fight that i'm looking forward to most uh we got harney barcelos going up against Timur Valiev. I think a lot of people are very excited for this fight. We got minus 210 on Barcelos, plus 190 for Valiev. And I'm actually going to hand this over to John to, to kick off the breakdowns here. And I'm just going to run to the washroom because my bladder is about to explode and y'all don't want an accident on camera right here. So, uh, John, take it away and I will be right back. Yeah, it's funny. We all took bathroom breaks like one after the other in these last like 15 minutes. Um, so to start this off with Barcelos, I think that Barcelos deserves about minus 200. What's the line at right now? I think last time I checked, it was minus 230. Yeah, um, minus yeah, 225-ish, 230. I think, I think that's getting a little bit too far because I, I do favor Barcelos here. I think I give him the biggest advantage in the striking, and I just think we're going to have a bit of a puncher versus kicker difference going on between these two guys. I think that Barcelos lands the strikes to the head a lot more consistently while Valia likes kind of kicking from the outside, body kicks, and a lot of his attacks don't really target the head. So I, I see Barcelos getting the better of the striking exchanges by targeting the head, by having more success with his boxing. I mean, the guy has power in his hands. Uh, he's real fast. I mean, I'm not writing off value of in the striking completely, but I do give an advantage to Barcelos in the striking. And in the grappling, I think that Valiev's grappling is getting a bit disrespected. He did get taken down by uh, Trevin Jones. He didn't look too great on bottom there, but that was after he nearly finished Jones. He almost got the TKO in round one, kind of guessed out there. But if you go back and watch Valiev's PFL fights, his Russian fights, he actually is very hard to take down. It's got really good uh, takedown defense, especially from the single leg. I mean, the guy has incredible balance and flexibility. And even when he gets put on bottom, he's pretty good at sweeping and getting back up to his feet. So I don't think Barcelos is going to have an easy time 
out grappling him at all. I think he's going to only look minus 200 if he keeps the fight standing. While I think Valiev kind of thrives off those takedown defense type of fights where he can defend those takedowns, maybe get his own grappling going. So I'm going to be siding with Hyanu Barcelos here. I think I would cap him closer to minus 190, 200 at the max. And uh, Valiev is going to compete everywhere. I just don't think I give him enough advantages to straight out pick him or give him too much of a chance to win. So I'm expecting a great fight between two prospects, but I'm going to be going with Haley Barcelos by decision as the pick. I'll, I'll take it from here. Um, I agree with everything that you just said here. You know, um, as better as we got to look at what that line is, you know, and I think Barcelos is better everywhere. I mean, the bookies love him. This guy is coming off as minus 1100 favorite against Huachin, a minus 380 favorite versus um, uh, Taha. I believe he was like minus 550 against Halibar or something like that. I mean, he's had some big lines and he usually looks that good, even when he does have that big of a line, but it's almost impossible to envision a scenario where Valiev is plus 175 against, I mean, anybody else in the division, you know, it kind of looks like Valiev is being disrespected a little bit just because Barcelos is, is so well thought of. And I wish Barcelos was younger, man. He's 34 years old and it's a shame. He, his last fight, he was supposed to fight Asensau and Asensau dropped out and then they fed him Marcelo Rojo and then Rojo didn't make weight. You know, this guy needs to go now. Barcelos needs to go now. He's very good. He's very well thought of. That win against Saeed Nurmagomedov is a big win. That win against Chris Gutierrez was very impressive. But the other three wins, you know, Halibaugh, Huachin, Taha, they don't knock your socks off, really. And he didn't even look that great against Huachin in the first round. So, um, you know, I think Barcelos is better here. I'm picking him to win by decision. Um, I think... Uh, Barcelos' wrestling background is very good. He's a member of the Brazilian national wrestling team. This guy's got great hands. He's got great Brazilian jiu-jitsu. His takedown percentage is 56% in the UFC, 9 out of 16. When this guy goes for takedowns, he gets them. And he's out-controlled his opponents 28% to 3%. So this guy, he, you know, he's just been dominant. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to say I'm going with Barcelos here. Um, I think he should get the job done, but I – don't feel safe betting him up here at minus 230, 240, maybe as a cheeky little parlay piece. But I just think it's, you know, like uh, like John said, I think I'd like to see him line maybe around 180, 190 minus, somewhere around there. I believe that should tee me up in terms of knowing that John doesn't like the line on Barcelos. And is he who you picked to win or did you pick Valiev? Yeah, I still picked uh, Barcelos by decision, but just said he should be maybe minus 190, like Weezy said. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the, the the take from everybody this week, and I think everybody pretty much agrees. Like, this is a fight between two up-and-comers that are, even though they might be up there in age, or more so on the Barcelo side of things, they have a lot to prove here, and I think that both guys, you know, I hate seeing these situations where guys are, you know, on the rise, and, you know, the UFC is looking for new blood to promote, and guys that are fun to watch, entertaining to watch, and both these guys tick all those boxes. Now they're just match matching them up together, and one of them has to take a step back while one of them jumps forward, and it's really shitty to see. The other match 
matchups that remind me of that, like Saeed Nurmagomedov against Ricardo Hamos before we truly found out what, what Hamos brings to the table. Uh, even another one, Barcelos is uh, involved with him against Nurmagomedov. Another one where you're kind of like, you know, putting uh, a prospect a step back due to just matching them up together here. And I think that uh, both you guys are on the on the money here. I think that Barcelos is the rightfully favored guy. And I do think he actually ends up winning this fight, but the line is just a little bit too wide that I don't agree that he should be this big of a favorite. I think he's the uh, I think he's the more efficient and better minute winning striker compared to Timur Valiev, who's a little bit more explosive, likes to throw his spinning shit, you know, his flying shit, whatever it may be. And then when he needs to, he can lean on his grappling on the value side that I'm speaking about, just as he did in his fight against Martin Day. You know, I mean, he wanted to get that first one inside the UFC after especially that blunder of his first fight in the UFC against Trevin Jones. But here, I think that uh, even if he decides to go out there and wrestle against Barcelos, I think he's going to have trouble having much success in terms of implementing control time or even landing takedowns here, let alone even controlling Barcelos on the ground. So I think Barcelos uh, will keep this fight on the feet. It will play primarily out on the feet. And I give Barcelos the advantage here. There's times when he's whipping his leg kicks so he looks like a young Jose Aldo. I mean, there's been so many people out there that are just like, even physically speaking, he looks like Jose Aldo, like from afar. If you're like, oh shit, is that Jose? It's no, no, no. It's a, it's, it's a poor man's Jose, but he still has a ton of skill. Uh, I do think that Barcelos definitely has like top seven ish potential and maybe could, you know, get a crack at that title if he is active enough. Another guy, just like we were talking about earlier in the card, I can't remember who it was. Was uh, Julia Avila somebody that if they stay active enough, they can find themselves in a top five spot? And I think that's the thing here with Barcelos. I think he gets the win. I think I agree with the decision prop as well. I think he wins this fight by decision. He picks part of Valiev from the outside, uh, leg kicks galore, slow down Valiev, and then get your hands going. Uh, Valiev potential durability issues, but I'm not willing to really uh, run to the window to bet the KO prop, especially considering the circumstances that surrounded Valley of getting finished by Trevin Jones. He threw everything on the kitchen sink at Trevin Jones in that first minute or first round, and then I had nothing to give in that second round, and I think that knockout came from exhaustion and just, you know, just not really being in it anymore, and I think he definitely learned his lesson, which is why he took a very disciplined approach in the Martin Day fight, and I think he's going to take the same lesson here against Barcelos, and I think his durability should check out and Barcelo should win this fight via decision regardless. Uh, but yeah, line is a little bit too wide. Jonah, are you going to just echo our same sentiments here? How are you feeling about this matchup? Yeah, I mean, look, it's the probably the best fight on the card. I mean, I, I think the main event is pretty great. I'm like on record a bunch of times saying like heavyweight main events should be, you know, completely thrown out the window unless it's for a title fight. The heavyweight main event this week's pretty good, but like I think the consensus is that this is probably the best fight on the card. Uh, so I'll give it a little bit of time here, despite the fact that I don't have a ton of new stuff to add. What it comes down to me in this fight is we can talk about like the little uh, tendencies that these guys have that differ from one another, but all in all, I think that they're decently similar in the fact that they're both well-rounded, uh, kind of succeed. You know, John touched on it, how Valia succeeds with his single like takedown. I think both these guys do pretty well in like scrambling scenarios. I just think it's going to be one of those fights uh, that plays out fairly competitive. And when we have a sport uh, that plays out over the course of a long season and you bet a money line, you can, uh, a team could be worse than the other one, but you're betting them kind of purely based on value. For MMA, you're betting based on value as well. But for me personally and an underdog, I like having a guy who I know he has one way that he is certainly better than his opponent and he could win that, whether it be in the clinch, whether it be jujitsu, wrestling, uh, distance striking. And for me, I think this fight is close everywhere. It just feels like Barcelos has value of covered by the slimmest of margins in every single category. Uh, so I think a value bet on value of is fine. Uh, I'll pick Barcelos. I think he wins a decision. I think it's a really high level fight. Uh, you hate that one guy has to lose, but at the same time, like, but Barcelos is 34. Like we got to expedite that title run, like right fucking now, if he wants to have a shot at it. So uh, 
I, I don't mind the matchmaking. Like, I'm very much looking forward to the fight. Uh, yeah, I'll take Barcelos. Uh, should be a competitive fight. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I definitely think that this is one of two fights, another one that we'll be talking about in the minute where a lot of people are going to be value hunting here on the underdog and they might still end up end up rip, ripping up their tickets come Saturday night uh, trying to hunt that value. But uh, that does bring us to our co-main event here. We got Ovin St. Pru taking on short notice. Tanner Bozer, who steps in for, I believe, Maxime Grishin, who also was not able to get his visa to get over to the, uh, to the U.S. to actually have this fight. In terms of odds, we got Bozer around minus 170, plus 150 with the return on uh osp i'm actually gonna let uncle easy kick this one off for us who are you liking in this heavyweight coleman event slot nobody um <laughs> you know it's a weird one man you know i i've been just furious with ovin st prue for years about not using his wrestling and i mean uh if we look at uh you know we got 23 ufc fights and he's only attempted 44 takedowns and he's gotten 14 of them but, you know, he, he does so well on top, you know, and uh, with somebody like Bozer, who has shown that he can be taken down, he can be controlled. You know, I mean, we just saw it with Latifi. You know, if, if I could feel confident that Ovens was going to go to his wrestling, I'd feel really good about betting him here. But I don't feel good about it. Um, and he gets out controlled by his opponents, 13% to 23%. He's getting controlled. Um I'd really like to see Ovens go for the takedowns. He doesn't really do it. He's got a little bit of a power advantage, but in terms of volume, he's completely outdone. Bozer is going to outvolume him. He's going to throw the more variety of strikes. And uh, I think he's going to just outwork St. Pru on the feet. You know, I, I would have to go with Tanner Bozer by decision here. Um, but, you know, St. Pru's power, you know, he can, he can definitely hurt you. And if he gets on top of you, man, he is so good there. Um, I think there are ways for St. Pru to win this fight. I think he could win it if he went to his wrestling, but I don't predict that he will. So I got to go with Tanner Bozer by decision. Yeah, I'm going to be leaning with you as well here with Tanner Bozer. I do think that uh, even though he did, you know, get grapple fuck last time around by Ilir Latifi and then obviously lost that Andre Olovsky by the slimmest of margins, I think he still has a good shot to go out there and out volume OSP. I just don't think that OSP will be able to keep up with the pace and volume that Bozer is going to be putting on him. And OSP could have, you know, slight success with the takedown early in this fight and maybe threaten with a submission or something like that. But I don't think that he's going to be able to secure something. And historically speaking, OSP hasn't really had the greatest gas tank and i think that's going to cause him issues here against bozer who can put on a solid pace from minute one to minute 15 go out there leg kicks combination stick and move we all know the bozer game plan i think we're going to see a classic style here from uh mr bozer and he should be able to take home that decision victory uh last thing i'll say about this too uh, i think that bozer that there is a little bit of a question mark for me in regards to how he actually wins this fight historically speaking he's a decision machine but like given you know him getting kind of fucked by judges in his in his last two fights he might go out there with a little bit more of a vendetta and try to just keep the judges out of this try to you know get rid of osp inside the distance i, I could see that happening I, I do believe that osp has some cardio and durability issues not to mention the guy's 38 years old and that kind of crept up on me when i started doing the uh the, the research on this fight uh, i didn't realize osp was actually that far up there in terms of age but i de definitely think that's going to play a factor in this fight but stylistically speaking i, I just don't think that osp has the greatest top control which should allow bozer to get back to his feet relatively easily here and then as long as it stays on the feet th there is no way that uh osp can go strike for strike with bozer in terms of keeping up with the volume so i like bozer here 
Uh, I think he wins pretty convincingly. I know the narrative around this whole fight is that, you know, Bozer pretty much been in quarantine since his last fight, hasn't really been able to train properly or anything like that. But this seems like one of those fights that he can just go out there and it's it's going to be almost, uh, you know, elementary to him in terms of just, you know, a routine type performance. Give me that classic Tanner Bozer, and that should be enough to beat a 38-year-old OSP going up in weight once again, who also lost a, a, a fight that might, might play out similar to this one to Ben Rothwell. Like, who does Ben Rothwell beat by decision nowadays? days osp is who he beats by decision nowadays and i think that's what's exactly not happening with tanner bozer here as well jonah am i too high on bozer in this spot or do you think that osp actually has the chops to go out there and pull off the upset i don't know if you're too high on tanner bozer i'll say i came into the week uh, i saw tanner bozer minus 150 i believe it was on like bet mgm or something and the line was moving and it was 163 across the market and i was thinking you know if i'm gonna bet this fight i i like the bozer side i suppose uh, minus 150 is short I'll move in now before the whole market moves. And it was one of those things where I kind of sat there and I was like, you want to know what? I'll check if it's still there in an hour or two. And then it was three or four hours. And like subconsciously, I was just hoping that like the perceived value in my head would disappear in terms of the betting market because I just don't feel comfortable having my money on this kind of fight. And of course, you know, you can make money on literally anything that goes down in the world if you have a sufficient take on it that like you're confident in and obviously lock i mean you just gave a great breakdown this fight you're confident in it for me it's just really hard to have confidence in tanner boaster because look i think he wins a standing easily you know i don't think we have to talk too much about that osp has that grappling route the thing with osp is and i bet him in his last fight against jamal hill uh, when wheezy brought that up earlier i was getting like ptsd live on the show i mean just it's it's brutal with this guy his game planning is brutal he has one takedown since 2019 it was against olizacek and he won via submission in that fight i mean yeah. it seems like very elementary in my mind uh and you don't want to oversimplify things it's a cage fight it's not that easy to shoot takedowns when people are trying to punch you in the face but uh it's one of those things where like if osp wrestles i i can't lay the chalk on boser but you also can't count on osp to wrestle and boser severe volume edge better striker it's not a thing where osp is the bigger guy at light heavyweight he's coming up on short notice so uh, i'll pick boser i'll pick it by decision i generally think his power is a little bit overrated due to the back-to-back -back finishes um earlier in his ufc career so yeah i'll take boser by decision i'm happy that i don't have a bet on the fight though i will say that <laughs> john are you actually uh one of those guys that has a bet on this fight and secondly how, how do you see it actually playing out now nah, no bet on it for me right now but um I do think there is value on Boster's money line price. Last time I checked, it was minus 170. Is it still hanging around there? Um, because, yeah, minus 185 now. Actually, some places have it minus 170 still. I, I think he deserves minus 200 here because, in my opinion, OSP can only really win the fight with hitting takedowns because he's not a terrible striker. I mean, we did just see him outstrike Alonzo Menafield, but that was at 205. This is heavyweight. And in the Ben Rothwell fight, he looked significantly slower. He didn't throw any, he threw 90 punches in that entire fight or 90 strikes in that entire fight. And he didn't attempt any takedowns. So like you guys have been saying, if we knew that he would come in here and attempt a lot of takedowns like Ira Latifi did, then he would be the side. But he's not Ira Latifi. One big difference between Latifi's top game and OSP's is OSP's kind of looking to pass. He's looking to get his submissions going while... Latifi is content to just lay on top of you and do nothing. I mean, he won that fight against Bosser with the most minimal amount of effort and <laughs> output. It, it was just amazing how he pulled that off. And I bet against Bosser two times in a row, Orlovsky at plus 250 or higher. And I was on Latifi uh, decision there too. So 
I am skeptical of the guy in general, but I think this is a good spot for him. I think he's going to outstrike OSP, much more reliable striker, and I think he's probably going to get the knockout in rounds two or three. I think my official pick here is going to be Boston knockout two, and I might actually end up with some money on him at minus 170 if he stays around there because, as I mentioned, I think he does deserve minus 200 uh, considering that I just can't trust OSP to look good unless he grapples, and he's not even reliable to do that. So uh, I'm on Boster here. Yeah, I was very uh, head scratching actually for the anybody backing Tanner Bozner against Andre Arlovsky. It seems like he just just put a couple more punches together, and it, like it was just small moments for Arlovsky that truly stole him that fight, at least in my opinion. And I think if Bozner just throw a little bit more, which he's historically known to do. I don't know what it was. Maybe you was starstruck fighting a guy like Andre Olowski in front of him or something like that is what it is. Weezy, I'm actually going to let you wrap this one up for us. Uh, how are you liking this heavyweight matchup? You, 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 start start you started already, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I already did both. Or, uh, oh, uh, what the hell? Bro. Jeez, I'm going to be so shocked. All right, let's move on to the main <laughs> event. I'm actually going to be kicking off the main event for you guys. Uh, main event, uh, we got Sirokan going up against uh, Alexander Volkov. In terms of odds here, uh, we got minus 150-ish for Sirokan, plus 140-ish for Alexander Volkov. And like I said, I'll kick it off here. Uh, it's pretty plain and simple, right, in terms of we know that Volkov is a proven heavyweight, fought all over the world, fought the who's who, former Bellator champ, former M1 champ, you know, on a decent winning streak right now, two wins in his last two fights, obviously over Walter Harris and Alistair Overeem, but he has a completely different beast in front of him here, a relatively unproven beast, though, in Saragon, right? Like, uh, to this point, I, I could say the best win that he has on his record is a 2020 Junior Dos Santos, and that's not really saying much, right? Like, with Jairzinho Rosenstrike, I... I lump Rosenstrike into the category of Walt Harris, Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou. Evade those bombs and more than likely you're going to win this fight. And that's exactly what he was successful in doing against Jairzinho Rosenstrike. And obviously he didn't make many fans in that fight because he didn't engage as much as most people thought he would. But like, I believe he went 3 of 13 on takedown attempts in that fight. Like he was trying to get this fight to the ground to try to implement a grapple heavy approach. He was unsuccessful in doing so. But even when this fight was on the feet, he was very good in terms of just sticking and moving, staying on the outside and staying away from the big power of Jairzinho Rosenstrike. Here with Volkov, I don't think he has to worry too much about it, like a one-punch knockout type of thing with Volkov. Volkov is more of an accumulative striker. Uh, he kind of damages you and then slowly puts you away. His body kicks are absolutely nasty. Just ask Walt Harris. He's probably still hunched over from back in October. But I do think that uh, Gon should be able to stick and move here again. I think his speed is ultimately going to be the difference maker in this fight. I don't think that Volkov will be able to catch him with the brunt of most of his shots as Gon will do a good job of leg kicking, getting his combinations off, and getting back out of there. And I wouldn't even be surprised to see him go out there and throw in a takedown or two in this fight. Not saying that he's going to have ultimate success in terms of holding down Volkov the way that Curtis Blades did, but you know we still do have to give the the props to Volkov in terms of being a brown belt in jiu-jitsu so he definitely knows what he's doing off of his back and given how you know relatively inexperienced Gon still is I could definitely see him get caught in something if he is a little bit too lazy on top of uh of Volkov and in his guard and doesn't even decide to pass in this situation but I do think that the majority of this fight is going to be in the stand-up realm last night on the prop new up show that I did with Cody uh one thing that he brought up that he thought was going to be a staple of his game plan was leg kicks uh Volkov keeps his leg out there obviously he's a big big dude uh and, and it's going to be harder for him to pull his kicks away or, or his legs away and I think he will get that lead leg chopped up and that should slow down Volkov even more and give uh Sirogan a further speed advantage in this fight 
But I do think that uh, the spot here is gone via decision. Plus 200. I like that line. I think this goes five rounds. I think both guys have solid durability. My qu main question mark as to why gone isn't like a, a lock of the night type of play here for me is that there are those questions about what he, uh, how he reacts when he deals with adversity. Like he hasn't fought anybody as skilled as Volkov at this point in time. Volkov is great all around. Like he's fought, you know, the, the power puncher and Jairzinho Rosa strike. Stayed away from the power. Check. Passed that test. Beats uh, Junior Dos Santos, who was damaged, good, damaged goods by that time. Check. He beats Tanner Bozer at Tanner Bozer's game. You know what I mean? Goes out there and strikes him for the majority of 15 minutes. So he's checking all these boxes. He's going out there and doing everything that he needs to do to get the win. But now is the stiffest test for him. And this is where we see, like, if he passes this test with flying colors, I'll be sold on the kid, man. I think that he will really have a lot of success in the heavyweight division if he beats a guy like Alexander Volkov. Because, you know, again, Francis Ngannou is still making improvements on a fight-to-fight -fight basis. But I feel like Gan has the advantage in that fight if they were to be to, to be matched up together, especially if this comes down to a five-round fight. If he doesn't get dusted in the first round and a half by Francis, he probably runs away with it. But again, we're talking about a little bit into the future here. I think Gan wins this fight. I think he is the real deal. Now he has to go out there this weekend and showcase that he's the real deal. So I like Gan, especially around minus 150. I think that's a solid spot. And then I also like Gan via decision at plus 200. Jonah, how are you feeling about uh, Volkov as a dog here? Sorry, last thing I'll say, actually, like I said a little bit earlier, this seems like another spot that people are going to be value hunting on Volkov, but will still end up ripping up their tickets. Again, I see the Volkov angle, but I still think that uh, Gan comes out victorious here. Jonah, how do you see this one going down? Well, I'm glad that we could finally disagree, Locke. I mean, it's <laughs> fights. I feel like we've been on the same page. You're talking about people, you know, ripping up their tickets before the fight happens. Uh, listen, I I'm on the Volkov side here. Um, I played him at plus 140 earlier today. It was my last play of the week. I wasn't sure I was going to play it. To be honest, uh, there was a plus 150 earlier in the week. Uh, I know he kind of got up there, got bet down. It was going back up. I kind of timed my market entry midday through the afternoon uh, earlier today. I think a lot of your points with the breakdown of the fight were great lock. Like I think we view it pretty similarly. Uh, I just think there's value on the other side. And I think it's an interesting matchup because both of these guys present kind of a stylistic matchup that have, they haven't necessarily seen before with someone as good as them. Uh, because I do think that gone is the real deal. Like I do think he has title uh, a title ceiling in this weight class. I mean, anybody who's as well-rounded as he is in a division at like heavyweight has a real chance to win the title. And, uh, you know, there's some things working against him. I will say he is, I don't think he's going to be a great finisher. I know he's finished three of his five UFC wins just, and this is purely eye test based off my gut instinct. I think when he starts fighting higher level guys, he's going to struggle to have a ton of finishing equity. Uh, and I don't just say that because of the Jorginho fight, you know, I understand Rosenstrike is a guy you have to be somewhat careful about. And, you know, we say he played it somewhat safe. The guy still landed a decent amount of strikes over the course of 25 minutes. He did a good job moving in and out. Regardless of what the commentary said, I thought he fought pretty smart in that fight. Uh, where it comes down to me is that you know, he hasn't seen someone like Volkov who is actually content to fight at that range. He loves to move in and out. Gon does, but Volkov is taller than him. I know the reach is very similar, pretty much like doesn't matter when it's a one inch reach discrepancy, but Gon is usually much longer than his opponents. And Volkov is capable of fighting at that range. He fights behind a jab. He will teep up the middle. He'll throw front front kicks as well. Uh, Volkov is, he's been around. He's a bona fide top five heavyweight. He's fought in the best promotions in the world. He is still in his physical prime at 32. Uh, I, I just think Volkov is generally underrated. And you mentioned in the blades fight, uh, how he was taken down 14 times. I actually, I do think Gon has some wrestling upside here, which is why I'll pick him, why I think he deserves to be the favorite. Uh, it's just one of those things, like, in order to take down somebody 14 times, they have to get up. 
and yeah. Volkov has a decent get-up game. And I haven't seen things from Gom that make me think, oh, he's going to be able to hold down Volkov enough to win rounds consistently via that method. And to me, the striking feels competitive. I actually think Volkov hits harder if they were to get in the pocket. I would favor him in sort of a firefight here, although I tend to think it's going to be mostly on the outside. And I think it plays out closely. You give me 42% implied on a guy like Volkov. Uh, prove it to me, Serial Gom. Prove to me that you're top five guy in this division. So it uh, should be a really fun fight as far as heavyweight goes. Uh, I'm excited for it. I'll pick Gone, but I do think it pretty much a coin flip and I'll take the dog. I like that breakdown. Definitely a good way to approach it. And last thing I'll say before I actually move this on over to John, uh, the the argument regarding the experience and and the level of competition, all that, you, you gotta you know give some leeway to God in terms of like he's at the mercy of just the progression of his career, right? He comes in, uh, pretty much gets. I believe his first professional MMA fight was for a title over there at TKO. Like they right. had high hopes for him right off the bat. So he can only take what they're giving him. He's accepting everything that they're giving him, and he's progressing at a at a pretty solid straight. Uh, but obviously, this fight against Volkov will definitely be his toughest today. John, how are you feeling about this matchup? You like the dog, or do you think that the up and comer shines bright this weekend? Early on in the week, I kind of thought the value was on Volkov, but after rewatching a few of uh, Gain's fights, I'm going to be siding with Gain. And I think, especially after he dropped under minus 150, is he still hovering around there? I was pretty shocked right after the weigh ins, like a lot of money came in on Volkov. And uh, I was pretty shocked to see uh, gain at minus 137 there for a short amount of time. Uh, I think the biggest difference in this fight is just going to be the speed difference. Is his gain is just going to be so much faster, and he's going to be staying on the outside with his leg kicks, his body kicks. I mean, what a unique fighting style, especially for heavyweight, where we just see guys swing to the death most of the time. I mean, Gain doesn't really throw that many head strikes. He's content to stay on the outside, chew your legs up, chew your body up, and he's got great cardio, great output. One thing that really impressed me in the Rosen strike fight is how he just steadily turned up the pace. He was throwing and landing more strikes every single round, and he proved that he can strike with another good striker for five full rounds. Now, Volkov doesn't exactly have bad cardio. Uh, he knocked out Verdum late. He rallied late against Blades, but he doesn't have that same level of proven cardio where he can throw five rounds of striking output like we know Gain can. And I think Volkov is going to compete in the first two, two or three rounds, but rounds four and five, I think Gaines' leg kicks uh, are really going to start limiting Volkov's mobility. The gas tank is going to start depleting from those body shots. And Gaines really going to take over rounds four and five. But the one thing I will say is Gain really hasn't been caught too much in his MMA career. He's got great defense. And Volkov has got real good power now. At, now that he's bulked up to 265, he's finished both of his opponents doing so. And I think there's a chance that if Volkov hits Gain, we might see Gain in a little bit of trouble. We might see Gain hit harder than he's been hit in his MMA career before. So I don't think you can write off that early finish from Volkov in one, two, or three. But if Gain is able to survive and make it in the later rounds, I do favor his athleticism, his leg work, his attritional work as the fight goes. And I think he's probably going to win a pretty comfortable decision here. I'm going to go with 49 46 uh, for Cyril Gone. And as Jonah said, uh, heavyweight main events are typically terrible. I usually rant all the time about how they're a waste of time. Yeah. But this is one of the rare good ones. Yeah. Uh, one of the rare fights where I think that it actually has potential to go in rounds four and five, unlike. You know, some of these heavyweight fights that end by knockout in the first two, one or two rounds, and then we're kind of wasting an entire main event spot. So, this is actually a rare good choice for the heavyweight main event, and uh, gain decision is my pick. 
I like it. I, I absolutely agree with you as well. Uh, one of the heavyweight main events that we had recently that goes to that point is Rosa Strike versus Sakai. We didn't need five fucking rounds of that. I'm sure there was another fight on the card that we could have possibly get, gotten a better five rounds out of. Uh, Wheezy, let's bring this on home, brother. Who you like in this main event between Sirogan and Alexander Volkov? I'm on the Volkov side here. Um, yeah, the thing that I'm seeing here on the Volkov side is, is uh, Sirogan's got eight professional fights. Volkov's got 41. Okay, uh, 82 minutes of professional cage time for uh, Cyril Gan. Uh, Alexander Volkov, 358 minutes of cage time. Jesus. Um, we talk about the career length. The mixed martial arts career of Cyril Gan has been less than three years, while Alexander Volkov has been in there fighting since he was 19. 12 years, two months, 26 days. Um, and then we add all that up, all that experience edge that Volkov has, and Volkov's 32 and Gan's 31, okay? There's a big, big, big experience advantage here for Volkov, and he has fought by far the better competition. Now let's get into the numbers, because there are some things that are, that are on the Gan side that are really fucking impressive. One of them is that Gan is landing 5.04 significant strikes per minute and only absorbing 1.85. He's almost hitting his opponents three times for every one time they hit him. But if we look at Volkov, we see 5.35 significant strikes landed per minute, and he only absorbs 2.68. So he's actually hitting his opponents twice as much as they're hitting him. It's very impressive. The number that jumps off the page, though, Cyril Gan thus far in his five UFC fights has 70% striking defense. Man, that's really good. So... You know, obviously, it's going to be difficult for Volkov to find this guy. He's going to have to chase him around that uh, small cage. He's going to have to try to march him down. He's going to have to pressure him a hell of a lot more than Rosenstrike pressured him. Um, people think that Gan's going to take down Volkov. I don't see him taking down Volkov. Um, Volkov's takedown percentage in the UFC is 66%. But if you throw out the Blades fight, it's over 83%. So, you know, this is a guy... You, you, you kind of just throw out the, the, the blade stats because he's the, he's the elite wrestler in the, in the heavyweight division, and he's going to take you down. Now, the thing that's really impressive about Volkov is he's, all, he's had nine fights, only 10 takedown attempts, but he's gotten seven of them. So I think there are people who think that Gan's going to take down Volkov. I think it's the other way around. I think Volkov is more likely to take down Gan. Gan has only had three takedowns attempted against him in the UFC. So... Um, you know, Volkov isn't going to shoot for a lot of takedowns, but he might be able to get one or two. And if he does get one or two, he might be able to steal a round or two. Um, and then also, I think that the the eye test is maybe going to see Gan kind of running and circling a lot more and maybe Volkov a little bit more pressuring. He might be bringing the action a little bit more. I'm actually going to go with Volkov by decision here. I think there's just too massive of an experience advantage for Volkov. There's too, too massive of a uh, high-level competition that Volkov has uh, fought against. And I think this is a huge step up for Gan, and we just don't know how he's going to look against a stud like Volkov. So I bet the money line on Volkov, I got him at plus 140 earlier in the week. I think there's value there. I think Gan could easily win this fight, but I'm going to pick Alexander Volkov by decision.
I like it. I like it. Uh, between that fight and Timur Valio versus Hani Barcelos, I'm super excited for the, the fights that are coming up tomorrow. Once again, 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, prelim start time, 4 p.m. Eastern, um, uh, main card start time. And something I actually forgot to tip off to these guys before we started the stream, and I'm hoping that they're ready to actually answer this question. Uh, one thing that I'd like to leave the viewers with on the back end here is everybody's lock of the night player or like most confident play of the card. Anything better than minus 250 is acceptable. So for myself, I've already gone with Charles Rosa, minus 175. I think he's actually going to style on Justin James in this spot. My second pick would have been the under two and a half in Hanato Maikano versus Jay Herbert. Jonah, what's your what's your most confident play uh, of uh, the card tomorrow night? Yes. So my biggest play is on the first fight of the night, actually, Hadzovich, uh, Yancey Medeiros, under two and a half at plus 150. That's moved like the even range, uh, which I you know I think it's decent. I wouldn't bet it myself probably at that number. But I'll say now at this point in the week with the current available odds, I think the Moicano under is still pretty good at minus 140. Uh, I have six plays. That first one I mentioned was for a unit and a half. The rest are just one unit. So technically I like them all the same in terms of like uh, wagering. But I really, I feel confident in that Moicano read. Uh, I think we see a finish in Herbert Moicano. I like it. John, what's your what's your lock of the night play for UFC Vegas 30? Yeah, I wouldn't have any that I classified it as that. I guess the closest thing that I would say is a lock is the Moicano money line. But my most confident bets are going to be um, Tim Means money line and Danilo Marks money line. All right, I like it. And Weezy, what do you got for us? What's your what's your most confident play of the card? Definitely that Moicano money line. Um, I really like him here to take down uh, Herbert and finish him quickly. I also love the under in the Moicano Herbert fight, and I'm, I'm I like that under in the Prachnio Villanueva fight. I think somebody's getting slept there, man. I think that's a really good bet, and there's some decent value there. But if I had to make one bet and just guarantee it, it would be Moicano money. I like line. it. I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, last thing I'm going to do, then we'll get these guys out of here. I want to let them plug themselves because you guys have already seen that they have the chops. They know what the fuck they're talking about, and they are sharp dudes. So please do give them a follow. Like I said, the Twitter links are in the uh, description below. But Jonah, I'll let you kick it off. Where can people find your stuff? Please plug away as you please. Yeah, thank you a lot for having me. Uh, you can find me at Twitter, uh, on Twitter, at DFS. It's right there uh, on the stream right now. I do work at FTNDaily.com for DFS, FTNBets.com for betting. Uh, you can listen to my podcast with John Kelly, who was uh, the funny-looking, not-so-sharp guy on the show last week. That's called The Undisputed MMA Show. Find it on you know iTunes, Spotify, all that good stuff. Uh, but that's enough plugging for me. Thanks again for having me on Lock. Uh, it was a fun time chopping it up. Uh, with all of you guys, and uh, I'm looking forward to the card tomorrow. Shout out to Owly last week for the comment of the week calling uh, John Kelly unjuiced TJ Dillashaw, and I can't unsee it anymore. Uh, John, where can people find you at? And uh, especially, please plug your podcast. Yeah, so my Twitter is UFO underscore UFC, and you can watch the Martian MMA podcast on YouTube, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. I typically record every Friday about 24 hours before the event starts and uh, break down the card in about 30 minutes every single time. And uh, thanks for lock having me on. It's finally nice to uh, meet Jonah face-to-face, -face, and it's nice to meet Wheezy, too, as well. So uh, thank you all for having me. Uh, thanks for everyone for listening, too. I see you, John Kelly, in the chat. I'm glad that you're able to hear those insults right to your face. Uh, Wheezy, uh, where can people find you, brother? All right, man. You can find me every Sunday, well, almost every Sunday night on Pub Sports Radio. I do a show with my guy DFS by the numbers uh, called Stack Diggers. We go live at 7.15 Eastern every Sunday before a Saturday card. So we won't be on this week. You can also find me on DFS by the numbers uh, YouTube channel where we do balls deep breakdowns 
on the main event and sometimes the co-main event of every card. And then you can also find me on my channel on YouTube, which is Uncle Wheezy, where I do the balls deep uh, breakdown franchise there. I'll go balls deep into like three or four different fights every single week and do like a 20 to 25 minute breakdown on the fights that I do uh, that I do analyze. I mean, I guess anywhere on the internet where you find dudes going balls deep on MMA knowledge, you're going to find your Uncle Wheezy there. So that's where you can find me. Also, one other thing, in about a half an hour, it's going to be my guy DFS by the numbers birthday. Oh, wish shit. that wish that dude a happy birthday. He's a great guy. He's uh, he's been an inspiration to me. So have you, Locke, uh, Jay Shiffy, and Mr. Martian. Man, it was great hanging out with you guys. Thanks for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uncle Weezy is climbing up the ranks quickly. The guy knows what he's talking about, and I'm happy to have him on. And obviously, Jonah, as well as my guy, John. Uh, two and a half hours, definitely longer than I was expecting it to be. So I <laughs> definitely appreciate all these guys carving out a Friday night to hang out with us and give you guys some knowledge and hopefully get some green in the cash tomorrow evening uh, and afternoon, I should say. Remember, 1 p.m. Eastern prelim start time. Appreciate everybody joining the show. As always, no show next week, but I promise I'm coming back with a banger for UFC 264. I have a great lineup set up for the Ultimate Wayne Show. Just waiting on one more motherfucker to confirm and then i'll drop the news for you guys but uh, i promise you guys will be very very happy with who i'm going to be bringing to the table good luck on your bets tomorrow night uh tomorrow afternoon i should say i keep fucking it up good luck on your bets tomorrow afternoon and i appreciate you guys joining us give me a like throw them a follow and you guys will be well on your way to getting some more bank in that bankroll all right peace out guys